welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So, uh, sometime a few hours ago, I saw the tweet about um, Elias Pettersson talking about Brock Besser and his contract. And he said, oh, yeah, I've been talking to him all summer. And, and I told him I know he's going to figure it out. And if not, I'll just have to drive to Minnesota and pick him up myself. And so I thought, oh, I have a funny opportunity here. And so I quote tweeted it. And I said, this is Brad and I trying to get uh, Evan to show up, to leave the golf course and show up for podcasts. Not two hours later, Evan said, hey, I'm having a pet emergency and uh, I can't make it. And I went, well, one, now I feel like a jerk because it's his cat, his toothless cat. So fingers. Speaking of toothless. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It's a little uh, Easter egg for the pre-show video. Um, yeah, so uh, Evan's not here, uh, but we did add something in his stead, which is some extremely, extremely bright lighting, but this is what uh, studio lighting looks like. Um, a little story, uh, this lighting is from a, um, a listener who's been listening since day one. His name is Daniel Lighting, so this episode and the next is officially sponsored by Daniel Lighting, uh, and he has a message for us. Lighting's landscape, lawn, and snow. We may not be the best, but we are definitely not the worst. Kenosha, Wisconsin. And if you like unfinished websites, go to www.leitings.com. www.lightings.com. Complete coincidence that Daniel Lightings sponsored the lightings on this episode. My favorite is when we got the part about the souls and when we got the message from him about this. And you kind of like directed me and Evan to read it. And so I went and read it after you and Evan had already started talking about it. And I was the only one who noticed that his last name was Lighting. <laughs> he even said, uh, I didn't realize at first and then I was hoping you wouldn't catch on. <laughs> uh, so as we're improving our um, our setups, it's uh, we've been kind of adding these things and we thought we're going to wait on Lighting until we have a permanent studio and update on that in a minute. Um, and then we've been putting out videos and then Daniel reached out and said, hey, love the content. Um Let's get that lighting figured out. So hopefully this episode looks a little bit better for those who, of you who are watching on YouTube. Um, yeah, about the studio. My significantly better half, who for un- reasons unbeknownst to me is still with me, um, is currently closing on a home. And a whole room of that home is going to be turned into the Winged Wheel podcast studio. So in within the next couple of, or a few months, uh, we're going to have a permanent station set up uh for recording both video and audio uh we're going to be doing a lot of live streams we're going to be doing a lot of stuff in there um we are going to be getting a custom table decking it out we're gonna have to do a lot of painting we're gonna have to get evan out to do a lot of painting he's the tallest out of all of us (laughs) vaulted ceilings and all i have a step ladder uh yeah so that's exciting news and for those of you who want to say thank you say thank you to mel uh welcome to the winged wheel podcast i'm ryan hannah i'm brad crisco a lot has happened. Everything has happened. Yeah, it's we've been having discussions as to when to go to two a week. Our current plan is to make our first two a week the first week of October. You guys let us know what you think. If you want us to go to two two a week sooner, we just we don't want to do like do it too early and then not have enough content. But then the hockey world's just like, no, no, we're gonna make content out of nowhere. So uh quite a bit has happened, and we'll we'll start with the Red Wings. Uh the Red Wings won the prospect tournament. Hey, hey. Which was very exciting. The last time we spoke about the prospect tournament, we were about halfway through. Um, the good thing is all of our takeaways held true. Uh, Joe Valeno 
was absolutely lights out. Scored seven goals in that tournament. If I'm not mistaken, I think I heard him passing. That's the Traverse City all-time goal record. Oh, is it actually? I think I heard that. He scored seven goals in four games. How many other guys could have done that? Um, Philip Zadina had only assists, but he did still look really good. He led the tournament and assists, did he not? I believe so, or he was up there at the very least. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys. A lot of guys looked really good. There weren't too many uh, Red Wings prospects where you're like, oh, they don't look good at all, or you know, I'm pretty disappointed with their performance. Caden Fulcher, but that... He only know. played one game, didn't he? Yeah. And you're talking about not the first goal in Detroit's pipeline. That's all right. So, yeah, they, they beat the Dallas Stars. Another uh, comeback game. I believe they were down 3-1, 4-1? 2 in the third. Yeah, and they ended up coming back to win that game. Um, so that was big. That's the first time Detroit's won the prospect tournament since 2013, I believe. Um, they had lost in the finals last year to Columbus. So Detroit won everything in 2013. Called their cup, Traverse City tournament. Around in the playoffs. <laughs> Last time that happened. They were up 3-1 against the eventual cup champs, which was nice. So anyways, Traverse City, Tra- Traverse City champions. Yeah. Mo Sider. Mo Sider. Oh. Mo Sider. That was a phenomenal showing by him. We have an interview with J.D. Burke um, later on, and he says a lot of good things about Mo Sider, and I'm glad because Sider genuinely looked fantastic. Like, all of the questions about should Cider have been picked there, et cetera, et cetera. We feel much more comfortable not worrying about those, knowing that Mo Cider is this good. Excellent tournament by him. Hiroshi looked faster. Hiroshi did. You could tell he's put in the work. A lot of the guys have stayed and put in the work. Cholosky did the same thing he did this summer that he did last summer, which was on his own dime, stay in Detroit to train with the team all season. You know, Svechnikov living with Larkin and working extra hard to get back. Uh, after missing a year of hockey, Hiroshi working at it. Kufker had a good tournament. He did. He was very one-dimensional in the tournament, but that's his dimension, so that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and and we're, there are a lot of Kufker questions coming out, and we're going to kind of put a wet towel over that probably later on. I know people are kind of expecting Hiroshi stuff from Kufner, and I don't think that's... It's almost unreasonable to expect Hiroshi stuff of Hiroshi, let alone another player. Yeah. And the fact they were signed at the same time is doing Kufner no favors. No. Uh, yeah, they're uh, just a genuinely a week full of positives, uh, and that bled straight into training camp. Uh, the red and white game was today kind of uneventful. Uh, training camp didn't produce too much by way of excitement or notable stories. Mo Sider continued to look good. Um, yeah, besides that, it, it's kind of hard to g- glean too much from the red and white game. I mean, Justin Ablocator looked good in the red and white game, so take from that what you will. I don't believe you. Uh, the... The one thing that I liked that they did in the red and white game was because it's essentially a scrimmage. It was like two 25 minute halves. So There's no periods. Um, and anytime there was a penalty, they just took a penalty shot, but they allowed the defenseman to, to chase. chase. Yeah. 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 That's pretty common for stuff like that. I love that they do that. And it was hysterical because Jonathan Erickson was the uh, offender. And so they made him chase. I'm like, <laughs> so <laughs> who was he chasing? Uh, yeah, Tell his me. Terry. Oh, Chris Terry. Yeah. Oh, I would have laughed if it was like Athanasiu, Larkin, or Valeno. Well, even Terry like took his time. He he was going down at normal penalty shot speed, and he took a shot, and all of a sudden comes Erickson like huffing through. I'm like, oh, buddy. that's. It was kind of mean that they made him do it. Yeah, they've, they've been doing that for the skates that I've been doing lately, and I haven't got one of those penalty shots, and I'm almost relieved by it. Because that'd be embarrassing if you got caught. Oh, yeah. I don't, like, I don't think I would be caught, but even even the thought of it happening is horrifying. Fun story. I, I played uh, Hell's League hockey in Windsor up until I was like, I can't remember what age, 9 or 10. 
I played for the Windsor Junior Spitfires for any local listeners or Windsor local listeners. And then I eventually uh, I was trying out for a travel team and I hadn't been playing travel growing up and I lacked a lot of the skills that these kids did. And uh, but I was fast. That's my my biggest thing is I'm just fast. I can move fast as hell. And uh, although maybe not now I've put on some weight um, and that it was one of those plays. It was essentially like the two guys start in the corners and uh on your bellies and there's a puck at center ice and you oh i hated that you drill. get up and you race for the puck and it was that kind of thing where it was like this the best player that on our team he was obviously going to make the team um and he was like a shootout specialist uh was racing for the puck and i just worked my ass off and beat him to it i didn't score <laughs> but it, it reminded me of that of just like hustling to get to the puck and the coach told me he was like look you're an outsider coming in it's hard to break into this team but that was the drill where I was like, yeah, you're going to make it. And that was awesome for me. And oh, that's that, fun. The farthest I ever made it was double A hockey. So that, that was the my glory days. But it is what it is. Yeah, I've never I've never been the fastest skater on any team I've played on outside of beer league. So you're fast, though. Yeah, but considering where I pl- where I played minor hockey, there were a lot of other kids in Kitchener, Ryan. Oh, yeah. Kitchener is another. I come from Windsor and I thought that we were good at hockey, but Kitchener's legitimately like good at hockey. Yeah, like a kid I played high school hockey with, uh, got a cup of tea with the Blackhawks, and a kid I played in a summer development league with is currently the Winnipeg Jets second line center. So, yeah, no, there were better players than me. Who? Brian Little. Oh. Played with him two or three years back when Conestoga College had an arena. There was a development league run out of there. You're old, man. Dude. He's he's currently on like a thirty three million dollar contract. What's uh, your contract? Right now, I'm not even sure if I'm going to make or get cut from the team I'm trying out for. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is technically considered semi pro. So you know, my contract would be zero dollars. You get us that credibility, Brad. That's what your that's literally what your job is here. You know, it's far more likely I'm going to get cut, Ryan. Right? You're aware of this. You're not doing what I'm asking you to do. I'm trying, man. My old legs can only carry me so far. Uh, the biggest news uh, out of the Red Wings training camp actually was not on the ice. It was off the ice. And it was um, we put out a, a quick YouTube video, <clears throat> a quick hit style video. Uh, by the way, you guys uh, feel free to give us feedback on that. That was our first test with the new lighting. And then I just decided to make a video of it. Uh, Brad and I and maybe even Evan, if we can convince him to one day, um, we're going to keep pumping those out but that's not the only style of separate video we're going to be doing. I digress. Uh, yeah, the news came out that um, according to Jeff Blashill, the Detroit Red Wings are going to be going with four alternate captains again this year. So it's going to be Larkin, Glenn Denning, uh, Abdul Kader, and Franz Nielsen. Uh, uh, big surprise. Big surprise. Dumb. Okay. Here's the thing. I would have bet money on the fact that they were giving it to Larkin before the season. There was a whole movement. And I thought if they were even on the fence, especially considering how much the fan base has been screaming for it and the fact that Nick Cronwell just retired and that would have been the only thing holding it back, I really thought they were going to do it. I didn't quite understand it. What, like, what's the holdup? And then Anser Khan then tweeted out the same thing that the I can't remember who tweeted it before, but he added that Blashill talked to Eiserman. Blashill and Eiserman talked, and Eiserman wanted to get to know the team better uh, before making that kind of decision. And also, they reserved the right to change their minds at any time. So, by no means is it set in stone, which I think is important. Um, 
my plan could come to fruition still, You're, Ryan. Yes, it definitely could. Eisenman's walking out to center ice a la Gordon Bombay with that scene is damn hand with the glue already on it just ready to smack it on Charlie Conway's chest here's the thing Eisenman's not that dramatic and that's the only thing that makes me think he Eisenman does not want that kind of fanfare no he doesn't but this is how can something be smart and dumb at the same like make you feel more confident and less confident at the same time I appreciate that Iserman wants to get to know the team better. This is a good thing. Obviously, you don't want to come in and making and have him make rash decisions. He's obviously followed the team. He knows them well. So, yeah, but he probably doesn't know them well enough. We, as Red Wings fans and anybody working in the organization, has dedicated so much time and attention to this team, even from an outside perspective, uh, we know what's up, but we've been doing this for, what, like a decade more for most of the fans? But here's the concerning part. This was a collaboration decision between Iserman and Blashill. So this is Blashill basically saying, I don't know the team well enough to overrule you. There is no other candidates than Dylan Larkin. There's not one, not a single one. I- How does Blashill not step in and go, listen, Steve, I get what you're saying. But this isn't a, this isn't a debate, and I seen the argument going around that some people were saying, "Well, yeah, we don't want to put Larkin in front of the media now because it's going to be a rough season, and he's going to be the guy who's going to have to step in front of the mic all year and explain why this team's bad." He's already the guy that's doing that. Okay, couple things. One, I don't necessarily believe that this was a decision between Blashill and Iserman. I that's what I'm hoping because that's very concerning if it's not. Brad, your phone home button is capacitive touch. <laughs> yep, I'm learning that now. <laughs> Got it. Oh boy, that'll be a treat for you too. I hope I hope that caught on camera. That's in the frame. Um, I don't genuinely believe this is a, a joint decision. I think all of this is coming down to Iserman. I don't think Blashill has nearly the level of control that's being put out there publicly. But I also don't think that they're going to put it out there publicly that you know Blash. This isn't Blashill's decision to make because Iserman has no interest in kind of cutting him off at the knees like that. Blashill's not on the hot seat. He's not in hot water, but I do believe that he is in a trial period where Eisenman's saying, well, as this team is rebuilding, that is a renewed opportunity for you to show me what you can do. He has a good reputation coming in, but the Red Wings haven't exactly had a pedigree for success. But Eisenman is smart enough to not hold that completely against Blashill because he hasn't had the personnel to even succeed, even if he could. Um, secondly, there was a captain that was uh, named captain very young and put under enormous pressure while the team was underperforming. Underperforming. You can say they were historically bad. And that team's that team was the Detroit Red Wings and that captain was Steve Eisenman. And it is no secret that that took a toll on Steve Eisenman. Steve Eisenman was almost nearly not a Red Wing on multiple occasions because of that and other things. He was almost traded a bunch of times. That sucked for him. He grew and he developed and he was all the stronger for it. But that's not the ideal way to develop your best player. Eisenman's probably coming into this and thinking, look, this is going to take time. Just because we've been talking about it like a lot since he came back does not mean time has passed. Literally zero hockey time has passed. We're probably still two years away before Eisenman even starts to make big moves to turn the corner on this rebuild. He does not want to throw Larkin into the same thing that he had, especially considering the city's expectation for success right now just because Eisman is back and because the rebuild has taken so abhorrently long because 
previous administrations or previous personnel did not want to lean into the rebuild. I think genuinely a lot of this is colored by Eisenman not wanting to uh, basically deflate the team's best player. Uh, not not to ever disagree with Eisenman if that is his logic, but getting back to a point I made earlier, the C, on, C or an A on his chest doesn't matter. It's all going to come back to Larkin anyway. Who is the first guy the media runs to after the game? Larkin. Who is the player that all the fans focus their attention on when things are going good and or bad? Larkin. Who is the de facto leader of this team that probably all his teammates even look to him for? It's Larkin. The the C is just the formality of it. So if they, if they don't want to give him that formality in hopes that it lessens the burden, fine. But I just, I don't see the logic. I would rather him learn when the team is awful like they are now, because this season we know they're going to be bad. But I think even the most pessimistic of Red Wings fans is going to have some level of expectation the following season. That's a season we've all kind of penciled as, okay, we might not be good that year, but we should be really turning a corner that the year. The needle should start moving. Yeah. So you put the C on his jersey for that year. That's more pressure. It's easier to answer when the team's garbage and they're expected to be garbage than it is to answer if a team's underperforming when they're supposed to be at least decent. So I don't know. I don't I don't love this decision from just about any angle. Uh, even branching off that, I think the, the four assistant captains, but two of them rotate again, is stupid. The only full-time assistants are Larkin and Abdelkader, and Blash even said, well, they're going to wear the A every game. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking, well, Abdelkader shouldn't be playing every game. So that's a whole other issue that we're not going to get into. Yeah, I'm happy for Nielsen and uh, Glenn Denning to get an A. Like, I don't have any arguments there, but the rotation is dumb. Just give – you don't have a captain. Most teams have a captain and three assistants. Just roll the four assistants. Don't be dumb about it. Are you no, allowed to have this- four A's on the ice? I don't know if you're allowed to, but most teams have a C and three A's nowadays. So, like, if I'm if we're just counting overall letters here, give him A, B, C, and D for all I care. Here's the thing: I'm of the same mind as you. I think Larkin is up for the task. Kid has a fire. He has a passion that is genuine. Like, he's the best player on Detroit. But it's not even only that. Like, it's not that's not the only reason why people want him to be captain. The guy loves this team and he wants to win so badly. I think he's genuinely up for the task, and so I agree with you. But after Khan tweeted that out and I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I understand where Eisenman's coming from. Uh, and the biggest point is, at the end of the day, Larkin will be captain, right? I was talking to Max about this. and Max said, it's not going to matter. Everyone knows. Like, it's very obvious that Larkin's going to be captain. Everyone's talking about it. Like, we all know that Larkin's going to be captain. And when it happens, it's not going to be... Like, we're not going to care about the missed season or half season or however long that we thought it should happen sooner. Yeah, I would prefer it happen now, but it's it's almost a certainty that it's going to happen regardless. So, yeah, just, just to play devil's advocate. And I, I'm just bringing this up for conversation. So I'll preface it by saying I don't agree with this at all. But given that the Red Wings are an organization that generally tends to heavily favor veterans, do you think next summer's UFA crop factors into this. If they do by miracle land, a Roman Yossi, a Tory Krug guys who have been leaders in this league for longer than Larkin has even been in the league. Does that maybe weigh I, into it? I don't think so. 
The only way I could have seen that being the case is if they brought in like an Eric Carlson type, something to entice him to come. But I really don't with the with the free agents on the market. I don't think captaincy will be what they're looking for. I think it'll be money. And you know, the well, I'm not saying that the players are going to ask for that. I'm saying would they try to would Blash will be more comfortable giving a C to a 30 year old Roman Yossi. It's not unprecedented for new guys to get letters or even to see on a new team. And presumably if, if someone like Roman Yossi is coming in, it's for on a seven-year deal. So you don't have to worry about longevity. Uh, you know what? I won't count it as likely, but I'm not going to discount that idea. And right. for those of you who go screaming about this, that's not a theory from Brad. It's a No, no. I'm just I'm playing a hypothetical. I don't think that's the case. I don't think... Yeah. I don't like that idea if that's what they're doing, but it's definitely possible. It's worth noting. Yeah. So do this anymore. Keep, keep talking. Marissa on Twitter, her handle is give Larks the C and she's not going to be able to uh, switch away from that. So Marissa, sorry. <laughs> I wonder if she commented on Patreon. Actually, we'll see later. Um, it just means she gets to carry on the, the petition for another year, even longer. Ride the wave. She's either going to have an extremely angry Patreon comment or it's going to be just like, no, it's just going to be the word. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> i felt really that was legitimately one of my first thoughts was oh poor marissa uh we bought a jersey for clay yeah they? one of our jersey giveaways by the way guys we're about 11 patrons away from our next jersey giveaway you guys have reached these milestones so fast i think the next patreon level we're gonna go like a stupid high number but come up with like a stupid giveaway for that one or a stupid prize we haven't thought that far but i've got ideas i'm concerned you should be. Uh, yeah, the the previous jersey giveaway winner was Clay, and he decided the, a Larkin jersey. And I was like, all right, do you want Larkin with the A or do you want Larkin with the C? And he chose Larkin with the C. <laughs> Oops. It, Lark, Clay, it will be okay. And honestly, no, I don't think – is that a jersey foul to wear that to a game now? No, it's a form of protest that is against this awful team and their bad decisions. That is. Fight against the man. Uh, okay. Before we get into the, our Pacific Division preview and our interview with JD Burke, uh, JD Burke, um, the floodgates have opened. Kind of signings have started to happen around the league. Now, this wasn't the first one, but it's the most notable one, and we're going to talk about it first. Mitch Marner, Brad. Thankfully for you, it is the last time we have to talk about Mitch Marner for a little while <laughs> until the Leafs actually play the Red Wings. So, pretty much the timeline on this was a few days ago, or four, four or five days ago. Uh, Bob McKenzie, uh, Elliot Friedman, and a bunch of other people essentially confirmed the contract offers that Mitch Marner turned down, which included seven years at $11 million per year, which in and of itself is a disgusting overpay. Um, I wouldn't say it's disgusting, but it's an overpay. It's a hell of an slightly, overpay. Slightly. And uh, I mean, the dude put up almost 100 points last year, Ryan. That was a flip. That was the, the switch flipped. In the Toronto fan base, we're pretty much the last holdout supporting Marner. Like, the public opinion changed rapidly. And then all of a sudden, we're hearing that talks are moving. And all of a sudden, we're hearing that Marner himself wants to get this done. And all of a sudden, we're hearing that Marner himself reached out to Dubas and instructed his camp to just get it done. And I was like, yeah, yeah, because I think you pushed it too far here, pal. Because that is a bad contract to turn down. As in, like, it's a you should not be turning down that contract. And this is coming from someone who always advocates for the player. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden, Mitch Marner was signed. Six years, ten point eight nine three. So six years at eleven million. 
that is still in my mind 1.5 million per year more than what Marner's worth at that length. Now, I think if you're going to overpay, you overpay your best players. Because if you overpay your middling players, your bottom end players, that's how you turn into the Red Wings or the Canucks. If you're going to overpay, overpay Mitch Marner. $1.5 million per year is a substantial overpay in my mind. Even if you want to call it a mil per year, eh, the way that negotiation was handled... I sure hope for Mitch Marner's sake he play, he continues to play up to that contract. I love Mitch Marner. I think he's an incredible hockey player. I think he's one of the best wingers in this league, and I think he'll continue to be one of the best players in this league. But the way that whole thing was handled, it was just kind of a headache where even people who are fans of him, like me, were just saying, oh, come on, what is this? How are you asking for a Matthews comparable? Like That's just not the case. Apparently, when he stepped on the ice for training camp today, he got a big ovation. Yeah. Well, kudos, kudos, you know, genuinely kudos to him for recognizing it when it was almost on the brink of going too far and stepping in and saying, okay, we're done. Everybody was upset when he turned down seven, uh, seven years, 11 million per. They're like, you're not going to get a better offer than that, a better deal than that. And then he got a better deal than that. Yeah. Because he got 11 mil essentially over six years. So now his, he's what, 22? 22. So cool. He's getting his next contract at 28. Yeah. He's cashing out twice. Yeah, but they do buy two UFA years. And it's not a horrible deal for Toronto either because they're getting six years. They're in their window now. Is Toronto concerned about this team seven years from now? No, of course they're not, nor should they be. Right now, they have Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander. Their only objective should be to figure out how to win when they have Tavares, Matthews, Marner, Nylander. Well, they have those guys locked. What they have to be concerned about is winning before Riley and Anderson and Muzzin and um, Barry need extensions. Well, you just mentioned two out of the three defensemen who are up next year. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, they're in a world of trouble. But here's the thing. Again, it's a forward-driven league. Yeah. They've got a good goaltender on a good contract. And... Normally, I'd say on any other team, this wouldn't be an issue. But given that this we're having Babcock as a coach might actually be a problem is if you get down to crunch time in the playoffs, those are four. You could put two of those guys on the top line, two of those guys on the second line and basically never put the other lines on the ice if you really needed to, Um, you know, could play them more than 18 minutes a game. But Mike Babcock, he's not on a hot seat, but he needs to succeed this year. And if he doesn't, I think he's gone. If he does more of this, you know, play the Marlowe types 25 minutes and play Matthews for 18, he's gone because they cannot be affording to waste these years anymore. The, Plain and simple. When, when all the fire Babcock jokes went up when Matthews only played 18 minutes in game seven, like I was like facetiously, I was loving it because obviously the way Babcock scorned Red Wings fans, even though he really didn't. Yeah. I, I thought it was funny. So I, I was here for it and joking around with it, but I, I didn't actually take it seriously that he should be fired. But then I started thinking about it. This team has Austin Matthews, John Tavares, William Nylander, and Mitch Marner in their prime. Morgan Riley in his prime. Frederick Anderson in his prime. There's no excuse here. No. There's none. There's zero. I'm not saying they're as good as Tampa, but they're not far off. No. The only difference between them and Tampa is depth. But of everybody, if you play your cards right, the players I just listed off, minus the goaltenders, will be on the ice. One of them... For about 70 to 80% of the game. 
And that's when the game's going to be won. It's as much as we love to say, oh, the fourth line makes a difference. And, you know, the the game is won in the trenches. Not anymore. It's not. No. It is not. It, Tampa was good because of Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, etc. The Blues won the cup because of O'Reilly, because of Petrangelo, because of Tarasenko. Your stars win you cups. You don't. Toronto has no excuse that you could argue they have what? three of the 20 best players on the planet right now? Yeah, 100%. There's no way they shouldn't win because this is the exact same garbage we were saying about Pittsburgh all these years. You have Crosby and Malkin every year you don't win as a travesty. And it's true. It's true because if you're that good, if you have two top-line centers, you are automatically a contending team in my mind. If you have two of the best centers in the world, you're automatically contending team. The one year where people didn't realize this and they said, oh, Pittsburgh has no chance, they won the cup. And then they did it again with no defense. They had no serviceable defense. Like, a team of this caliber is a cup contending team. Anyone who says they're not is crazy because just look at last year when St. Louis won. St. Louis was not objectively not the best hockey team in the playoffs. They were just above the cutoff point for how good you need to be to win. And that wasn't two or three teams. When it gets down to the playoffs, again, we all talk about how much we love parity in the NHL nowadays. So even though we're saying Toronto should be competing for the cup every year and, you know, win a couple playoff series every year, there's not a huge separation between the Leafs and whatever team's going to finish eighth. So circling back to the, the point I was going to make about what you were saying, yeah, Babcock's got to be on the hot, hot seat this year because those little differences are what are going to win you the games in the playoffs you play Matthews 24 minutes a game you play Marner 24 minutes a game you play Tavares 30 if you have to you do what you need to do to win those games and again on paper nobody should be beating them save for maybe Tampa so yeah if they don't get out of the first round again this year there's no excuse none zero some other signings uh before Marner Josh Morrissey was extended for eight years at 6.25 a year um, he's 24. I like Josh Morrissey. I think he's a really good defenseman. I think the way the numbers crunch, he'd be more of a high-end second pair guy. But if he's going to continue to progress and get better, by all rights, gamble on the cap going up, and yeah. and Morrissey's a safe gamble at that. You can you can have a definitely worse defenseman at that price. Yeah, he would be the best defenseman on the Red Wings by a lot, by a lot. Um, Ivan Provorov. Another six years. He's 22. Another six years at 6.75 a year. That's a good contract. Again, calculated gamble. Uh, Ivan Provorov is a guy where you're like, yeah, good player, just had a down year. But then you look at his numbers and you're like, ah, well, um, a lot. And this is the this is part of where you really need to be well-versed in analytics before you can start drawing too many conclusions from it. So I'm not going to declare that this is a bad deal. By no means. I would love, again, Ivan Provorov would be by far the best defenseman of the Red Wings. Hopefully, Philip Perona prevents us from saying that in a year. Yeah. Um, but they pretty much really have to hope that last year was just a very down year for him. Otherwise, that might not look so great. But again, the cap is going to rise and he's 22. And the season before this, he was tied for the league leading goals amongst defensemen? Something like that. So they're, they're, the talent's there. There's no question. It's just. Is it because of Philly or is it because of Ivan? Uh, Jared Spurgeon, who I believe will be 30 pretty soon, got a seven-year extension at 7.575 a year. I like Jared Spurgeon a lot. Definitely a candidate for most underrated player in the NHL. That contract is insane. Yeah, you cannot be giving a 30-year-old seven years 
over seven and a half a year, especially because his contributions are more defensive. And like I'm, everyone knows how much I value the defensive part of the game and how much I love strong defensive defensemen. He's good offensively too, but he's thirty. You're going to be paying. Going to be, I think. Yeah, you're going to be paying him until he's thirty six or thirty seven. Because um, he's not a. I, I, this contract doesn't kick in until next summer. Yes, so you have to hope that he ages very gracefully. And I'm I'm not even going to go so far as to say you never give a 29-year-old a contract like this. I'm going to say that this is under the context that it's the Minnesota Wild giving him this contract. Do Are they the least self-aware team in the league? They yes. are doing everything in their power to tread water. This is not a roster that is even close for contending for a cup. I admit, I think they'll be a lot better this year than people are giving them credit for. I think uh, based on the Vegas over-under point spreads, they're one of the better bets to pick the over on. But they're probably not going to make the playoffs still because that division's loaded. And this entire team, they're going to have like $40 million tied up in three or four players who are going to be... And we're not talking about the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, and they're but they're going to be all going to be like 33 uh, or older between Suter, Parisi, um, Spurgeon, and and Zuccarello. Oh, the Zuc contract is bad. Like, that's going to be over $30 million, and they're all on the books for like seven more years, and Jared Spurgeon is the youngest of them. Sometimes I feel like time passes too quickly, and then I realize that we're only halfway through the Suter and Parisi contracts, and I'm like, no, we have a lot of time before we die. They're going to be with those contracts are going to be with them forever. The the Minnesota Wild are doing what the Red Wings did four years ago, except they are doubling down on it when Detroit, after a few years, went, oh, okay, (laughs) enough of this. As soon as they missed the playoffs, Holland just went, yeah, all right, we're going the other direction now. Minnesota's like, yeah, we just missed the playoffs. Quick, let's sign all the old guys for even longer and more money to maybe get back to the playoffs. That's the sad part maybe get back to the playoffs next year. They might miss the playoffs this year. Imagine having all these guys at like 30 to 32 years old missing the playoffs and then realizing, oh boy, we have no cap room and all these guys for over half a decade still. Uh, The next contract I want to talk about pisses me off. Oh, it's Charlie McAvoy. Charlie McAvoy, three years at $4.9 million dollars. How does Boston keep doing it? I am convinced they are kidnapping players' families and holding baseball bats to their shins. No, uh, what happened here is Don Sweeney sent Yarmo Kekalainen a real nice fruit basket oh my filled God. with anything he wanted because Wierenski signed first on a damn near identical contract. Yeah, I, I would much rather have Charlie McAvoy on that contract though, yeah? Ah, there's not a huge difference between them. Uh, I think McAvoy is the safer bet. I still think Wernsey's got some room to grow, whereas McAvoy, for the most part, is what he is. Um, I'm going to have to dive into the numbers on those guys because I have a feeling that... Wernsey's underlying numbers aren't great, but when you look at some of his defensive partners, it makes sense. Meanwhile, McAvoy said Chara. Boston's not completely immaculate in terms of contracts. They are paying David Backus for two more seasons at $6 million a year, essentially just to healthy scratch him. But they have Brad Marchand and David Pasternak, and Patrice Bergeron, and Charlie McAvoy, and uh, Tory Krug, all for under $7 million. 
all for under seven million. Some of them are under six million. Some of them are under five million. That is a phenomenally efficient teams and team in terms of contract value. With you look at their the amount of production they're getting that overvalues the amount that they're paying for it. I worded that terribly. They contract good hockey players even better is the gist of it. You can never count out the Boston Bruins so long as they keep signing amazing deals like this. That is absolutely nuts. It makes me so angry as a fan of a team that is hampered by so many contracts where they're like, yeah, we're overpaying David Backus. It's like six mil, but we have Patrice Bergeron at 6.875. We have David Pasternak at 6.67. Brad Marchand at 6.125. Yeah, Tory Krug at 5.25 and Charlie McAvoy at 4.9. Here, here's the reason I love the McAvoy contract. Uh, ignoring how we objectively dislike the Bruins. But just from a from a pure hockey brilliant standpoint, here's why I love the Wrensky and the McAvoy contracts. More so for McAvoy because Boston's really in their window right now. Obviously, you're getting three more years at McAvoy of incredible value in a window where you're Shit, you should be competing for the cup, and yes. Boston will be. And the downside that people will immediately point out is, well, yeah, but he's going to be a UFA at 25, and you're going to have to pay him out the ass. Well, yeah, but the max you can sign him to is eight years. So you're telling me that I'm going to have to probably overpay by one or two million dollars a year for Charlie McAvoy, but then we get to punt him to the sun if we need to at age 33? That is it's ideal. perfect. This is the perfect structure. And then if he's still capable, you can give him a one-year, two-year, three-year contract just to keep him on board. He'll be 32 so or 33, so you don't have to pay him too much because that's how the market works. Old guys don't get that much uh-huh. um, unless you're going to Minnesota. It's, it's brilliant. Again, just like we were talking about trying to overpay the stars. If you're going to overpay, overpay the star. What will Charlie McAvoy be worth at the end of this contract? Pro- objectively, probably eight to nine million dollars a year. He's probably going to ask for 10, 11. And if you have to give him 10, 11 for eight years, fine. Nobody's unhappy there. McAvoy's getting his payday. You get to keep a top pairing defenseman. Yeah, you overpay him by a mill or two, but guess what? That's why you sign bargain bottom six player deals and you have ELCs. It also makes it easier when they've. Not they've underpaid literally all of their stars at this point. Yeah, they're the one exception. I'm like it, people are making fun of the Leafs right now. Oh my god, they got f- over forty million dollars tied up in four players. Well, yeah, That's but how you have to do it. This is how players, you do it. Or again, you kidnap players' families like Boston has done. Or you can overpay Darren Helm, Justin Abdelkader, Jonathan Erickson because that strategy has worked so well. No, you got fine, and we we joke about it as Red Wings fans all the time. AHL players can replace any of the Red Wings I just mentioned, and they make $700,000 a year. So if we had to overpay Larkin and Athanasiu and Mantha each by a mil or two a year, cool. All that money is saved if Erickson, Abdulkader, and Helm aren't overpaid and we have AHL guys being paraded out. It's all about balance. A true superstar or even a true star player makes a difference in your roster. Downgrading from a a pretty decent third-line winger to an all right fourth line winger doesn't impact your cup chances all that much. All right. Uh, I'm going to move us along. We're going to start our Pacific Division preview now. Uh, and we're going to start that out with an interview with JD Burke. Um, this is our first time having JD on the show. A lot of you might know him 
uh, as the one, and we're going to talk about this in the interview. Uh, he does have some ties to uh, Red Wings news. He's the first person who broke uh, Detroit's interest in drafting more at Cider. Um, JD ha- is aware of many hats, uh, editor-in-chief at Elite Prospects, uh, especially EP Rinkside, a resource that a lot of us use. Uh, co-host of TSN 1040 and, of course, a contributor over at The Athletic Vancouver. Uh, so enjoy this excellent interview uh, with the uh, brilliant hockey mind in J.D. Burke. Welcome to the Wing Wheel Podcast. A uh, very special interview with first-time guest, uh, one that we're very excited about, uh, J.D. Burke. J.D., thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks so much for having me on the program. Uh, and I just realized uh, that I gave you no credentials there. So, JD, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure plenty of you do, uh, is the editor in chief over at Elite Prospects, um, a resource that legitimately everyone in the hockey world uses. Um, he is also a contributor for the Athletic Vancouver, and then contributor slash co-host of Rinkwide uh, TSN 1040, according to your Twitter bio. So, uh, you're a man of many trades, JD. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, I wear many hats. Yeah. Uh, as as one has to nowadays to to get by in the media world, and uh, the most recent of those to make its way onto my my head is the elite pre- uh, elite prospects rinkside uh, editor in chief, and we just got renewed at TSN ten forty for uh, another year of rinkwide radio. So um, yeah, no, it's it's an exciting time. I mean, training camp is just starting. Uh, hockey season isn't isn't that far around the corner. Uh, it's definitely an exciting time, particularly in Vancouver, where for the first time in five years, the team isn't expected to be at or near the bottom of the standings. So I uh, can't wait to get started and looking forward to talking hockey with you guys. Yeah, of course. Well, congratulations on all of that. And, and let's start with Vancouver, because I think a lot of the hockey world was surprised by uh, kind of the moves that were made. Um, the biggest, I guess, would, would you say the biggest story was the whole Tyler Myers moving to Vancouver, um, which was kind of projected from the beginning. W- w- does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Uh, the Tyler Myers contract, so I'm not going to mince words here, is, it came under heavy criticism uh, from us included. Uh, what do you make of it? Well, I, I think that the Canucks, they, they have a bit of a tendency to do what is you know, directly in front of them. And and in the case of their right side defense, the obvious solution was to sign Tyler Myers to that contract, and that's precisely what they did. And for better or worse, that's that's kind of how they've operated. I mean, they needed a uh, bottom six checking center last year, so you know they didn't search the secondary market. They went after the biggest name that fit the description in Jay Beagle. And it's just kind of the way that this team has operated under Jim Benning's stewardship. Uh, since he joined them. So uh, I wasn't necessarily surprised. I think that uh, definitely, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but it's certainly not a contract that I would have signed myself. Uh, it's, it's you know, he's a, a low-end second pair defenseman, right? Like a number four or five. And they're paying him close to top pair money. And, and it's safe to wonder... Uh, whether they're going to deploy him accordingly as well, especially given, um, you know, the investment that they made in him this summer. I mean, it's it's not ideal, but I think that the thing to keep in mind here is that Jim Benning isn't um, he doesn't have any any real latitude here. He has to make the playoffs this season, 
uh, or his job security is in question. And everybody knows the score, right? So, I mean, it's not the move I would have made personally, but I can just see Jim Benning looking at this team, looking at the bright side of his blue line and going, Troy Stetcher is is a good, useful player, somebody who is a low-end first-pairing guy, maybe a good second-pairing guy. Uh, I've got Chris Tanev, who's reliable for about 30 to 40 uh, games a season. Uh, And then what? And I think when you try to answer that question without Tyler Myers in the fold, things get complicated. I think that the addition of Jordan Ben was a savvy, uh, a savvy move to that end because of the fact that he can play both sides. And I certainly think that's going to help things, um, especially when injuries, injuries rear their ugly head, as they always do. But beyond that, it's just it's, it's a grim picture. And even in the prospect pool, there's nobody who's really suited to playing on that part of the ice. So, I mean, they were in a tough spot. They did what they had to. And, and in their mind, that was signing Tyler Myers. And I guess we're going to see how that works out because, you know, they might be able to manage his $6 million cap hit in year one, maybe in year two. But if Jim Benning's around to see years three through six – uh, that's when it could really start to get a bit grim. Now, I'm I'm glad you actually mentioned years three through six because obviously when Benning got his extension um, this summer, it was met with a bit of ridicule from the general uh, public. But given that the Aquilinis have been very forthright in their they want the team to win now, they're not in it for a long-term rebuild. With that caveat in mind... How do you think overall Jim Benning has done with his, uh, for lack of better words, hands tied? Well, I, I don't think that we should let him off the hook either, right? I, I think that it's worth acknowledging the context in which he uh, arrived at this job and what he's had to do to keep it. But uh, the simple fact is, like, this was Jim Benning's plan. He wanted to build a team that would contend and compete on the fly without tearing it down to, to brass tacks. And, and that was his plan of his volition. And I think that even if you look at what Jim Benning did under the context of somebody who was having his arm twisted in one direction, I don't think any of the moves he's made have necessarily worked out. I mean, uh, it's one thing to, to question the team's direction. And I think that I have, and I think a lot of people have, frankly. But if, if you looked at this team when Jim Benning took over, and, and the mandate from ownership was to contend and, and be in the chase for the playoffs year after year. Well, I, I think there's a worthwhile argument, of course, to be made over where it was ever possible. But if your perception of chasing that end meant that you were going to trade for Brandon Sutter and give him the first retroactive no-trade clause in NHL history or trading for Eric Branson, then... I'm not going to be overly sympathetic given those factors because, I mean, both of those moves are absolute disasters. And right now you look at the Vancouver Canucks and uh, they've got a bottom six that was outscored two to one last year with two centers that are making a combined uh, $7.5 million. So, I mean, yes, it's, it's worthwhile context. Sure. And I don't begrudge Jim Benning for, for saying enthusiastically behind the scenes and in front of the camera that uh, he was for the rebuild on the fly. I mean, I would 
do or say just about anything myself to get the job, and I appreciate that. There are only so many of them in the NHL. However, uh, his moves were, were not uh, the most effective ones, and the short-term results weren't great, and long-term we're starting to see them bite the Canucks in the rear end. So, uh, you know, as for the extension, I think that's just optics. Um, th- that's, that's kind of how the Aquilinis operate, right? Uh, before Jim Benning came to town, they would fire a general manager after one year of missing the playoffs, and that's just how they operated. They were not a patient group, and they developed a reputation around the league, and nobody wanted to work with them because of their impatience. Well, I think that now they've kind of overcorrected themselves, and in response to that criticism are showing unyielding patience in the face of, of grim results. And, and you see things like Jim Benning's contract extension as proof positive of just that. And I think that what happened this summer was there was a lot of talk about Jim Benning making these moves. You know, we talk about the Tyler Myers contract. We we can talk about the JT Miller trade. A lot of people painted him with the brush that he made those moves with making the playoffs in mind, with trying to save his job in mind, that he was a lame duck GM. And he had to wear that. He had to wear that on every decision that he made. Well... It's, it's a bit late now, but they've gone ahead and rectified that by giving him a contract extension. But everybody you talk to has said the same thing. If this team doesn't make the playoffs, extension or not, uh, that, that might be it. It doesn't look like it's good. <laughs> it's going to be enough to keep uh, Jim Benning bountifully employed. So uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of optics there, I think, and no real substance. I think nothing changes about Jim Benning's future. Throughout all of that, I think there was uh... – Parts of it where a lot of Red Wings fans were sitting wherever they're listening to this podcast and nodding with you, JD, because I think there's a lot of parallels there to what uh, uh, Detroit kind of went through through the Ken Holland era, or at least the latter uh, phases of the Ken Holland era. Um, so to stray away a little bit from the negatives, or at least the the complete parallels to what Detroit was going through, I think the, one of the biggest differences in the potential rebuild or rebound of either team would be the fact that. Vancouver has a true bona fide superstar in Elias Pettersson. How does that change all that kind of gray, mucky, uh, crappy real rebuild stuff we were talking about? How much does Elias Pettersson move the needle and actually make up for the deficiencies that uh, Jim Benning's moves have brought to the table? Well, I think that it helps. It helps paper over a lot of the, the losing. It helps paper over a lot of the mistakes that this front office has made in the top 10 of the draft. I mean, we can talk about how excited this fan base is for Quinn Hughes, how excited they are for Elias Pettersson. The other reality is that uh, Ole Levy has not played a single NHL game. One of the few people from his first-round pick class that hasn't. Jay- Jake Vertanen is never going to live up to being drafted sixth overall. Um, but, you know, if, if you hit a home run like Elias Pettersson and you follow that up by taking Quinn Hughes, I mean, it's possible that the Canucks could have gotten two of the best players from their draft classes in back-to-back years. And when you do that, it's pretty hard to not win a Stanley Cup. It really is. Like, you look at historically, this is a point that, trauma, uh, that Thomas Trance made for the Athletic Vancouver. If you can add the best player from consecutive drafts, it's really hard to not win a Stanley Cup. So I think people are excited. Uh, I think they have reason to be, certainly, when you look at some of the 
the players that are on the way. And I think Elias Pettersson kind of gives uh, the city a new se- a newfound sense of optimism and hope. Uh, I think that there are some worthwhile questions about whether he can repeat what he did last year. Uh, he did have some elevated percentages and, and to just ignore that would be, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing anybody any favors if I did that. Right. So I think there's, it's going to be interesting to see how he responds with uh, an NHL that's ready for him this year. Uh, luckily, the Canucks have added some interesting pieces around him, but I think that he has had a really profound effect on the PR of this team, and hopefully we'll see what type of effect he has on the long-term competitiveness of this team. He's a hell of a player, and I think that he just might be the best one to come out of that draft class. So we're buried in the eastern time zone here, right in the middle of Leafland. So when it comes to RFAs, all we've heard about over the last, uh, I don't know, year is Mitch Marner. But Vancouver's sitting on a, a pretty significant RFA who is still currently unsigned. What is going to come of the Brock Besser saga in Vancouver right now? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I think there's, there's a lot of dynamics at play here, and a lot of people are going to want to paint this with the brush of, you know, he's just another RFA waiting for the Mitch Marner news to, to drop, right? Because that's expected to reset the market on uh, what a winger's value is at the NHL level. But He's such a different class of, of player, and and I don't mean that as like a compliment. I don't mean that as a knock. It's just the, the reality of where they stand in the current collective bargaining agreement. I mean, Mitch Marner is an RFA. He can sign an offer sheet, and he has the December 1st deadline, where if he doesn't sign, he's done for the year. Brock Besser can't sign an offer sheet, and he doesn't have the December 1st uh, deadline. In fact, according to the NA. NHL, he practically isn't a free agent because he has no bargaining power because he's the 10.2 uh, designation. And and that's worthwhile context because he's a player without much le- leverage. And I think the Canucks are aware of that. And because of the lack of diligence on some of their on- other contracts, which we'd mentioned prior, they now find themselves in a position where they don't have the money to lock up Brock Besser long term. And you're looking at a scenario, well, here we are. And if the Canucks wanted to sign Besser short term, three years, and at that point, he's going to want a back diving or uh, an elevated third year so that he can get a good qualifying offer. He'll be arbitration eligible, and he'll be two years away from being locked into unrestricted free agency. And so I think the team has been desperate to maintain a scenario where they get him signed to a long term deal. Uh, there was a report today from TSN 1040's Matt Sakaris that uh, the Canucks offered Besser a seven-year deal at $7 million per uh, that his camp rejected at the time of the draft. Uh, so it's it's really quite, quite interesting to see how this plays out because uh, I don't think the Canucks anticipated it would be this difficult with Brock Besser. Uh, and, and they're just in a situation now where they, they're out of money. And the most they can offer realistically is $7 million per. And if that's not going to do it long term, then they have to completely rework this negotiation because, well, I mean, $7 million per on a three-year deal that will effectively walk him to uh, unrestricted free agency isn't going to do the, the, the club much in the way of benefits either. So I, I just – I don't know how this ends, but – 
the, the one thing to keep in mind is that negotiations like the one that Brock Besser is currently mired in, uh, it's, it's pretty commonplace for 10.2 CBA designations. Uh, the, the two most high-profile ones that we've encountered to date would be Tory Krug and Johnny Goudreau. Uh, this is another example that Thomas Trance pointed out in his article. I can't take credit for this one. Uh, they, they both missed games. They didn't miss a lot of them, but they, most, they both missed playing time. So it wouldn't be irregular for Brock Besser to miss time as a result of this negotiation. I just hope, and, and I'm sure Brock Besser hopes as well, that it's not a significant amount of time because yeah, this was his first summer to really get a full uh, exercise regimen in, unimpeded by injury. And, and to kind of have that messed with because he's not here at training camp would be unfortunate after two summers uh, where he spent nursing injuries and, and worrying about where he's going to play the next year, whether it's Utica or Vancouver. This, this offseason had the opportunity to be a, a, a real big force for good. And, and unfortunately, just the way that this negotiation has gone down, uh, it's looking like another kind of delayed start to his season is about to, to uh, rear its ugly head. So uh, to transition us to more broad uh, Pacific Division talk, uh, something that we like to do, JD, is completely pigeonhole ourselves and make all too early standings predictions, um, as well as identify a dark horse team that you think could overachieve and then a team who won't uh, live up to expectations. Uh, So because you've been so kind as to give us your time, we are going to uh, make you jump into that pigeonhole with us. So uh, off the top of your head, uh, what two teams in the Pacific, or identify one of the the next two teams uh, criteria: a team that's going to uh, overachieve, or that's a dark horse team to succeed, and a team that is going to uh, underachieve and not live up to expectations. So, I think that one team that has the potential to catch some people off guard is the the Anaheim Ducks, and that that's not a very popular choice, I'm sure. But here are the facts to consider: they've got one of the best defense cores in the NHL with Josh Manson. And Hampus Lindholm. Uh, they got one of the best goaltenders in the NHL, and John Gibson, who, I mean, he might be the best goaltender in the NHL. And the Randy Carlisle effect is gone. And they've got a couple of really talented youngsters who are going to be entering this lineup. And I think that the Anaheim Ducks are in a really good situation long term. I know that's not a popular take, but. You look at their prospects, uh, you look at the fact that getting Randy Carlisle out of there alone is going to have a very profoundly positive impact. This team could catch some people off guard, I think. I really believe that. And uh, so much is going to you know, rely on whether they can get John Gibson healthy for an entire season. Uh, you know, That's going to be a huge factor. But, I mean, look, if, if Sam Steele, Max Jones, Maxime Comtois – if all of these guys are in the NHL, I can't forget Troy Terry either. I mean, that's a big-time injection of, of skill and speed and talent into the lineup uh, that I don't think anybody has really accounted for because the NHL sample just isn't there yet that they can. So I, I think they're a team that could make some noise here. I really, really do. On the other end of that scale, I think one team that could be primed to – uh, perhaps surprisingly, perhaps not take a step back is going to be the, the San Jose Sharks. And I think, I mean, it's, it's this simple. They lost Joe Pavelski. I mean, that's, that's a big loss. I mean, not just on the ice and trying to replace the third 
35 to 40 goals that he would chip in uh, annually like like clockwork, but off the ice as well. I mean, he was he was that team's leader, and I don't think they did uh, a lot to replace that this offseason. I think they're going to get some young talent into that lineup as well. I think that uh, Chekovich is going to be an interesting one to follow. He's a real high high risk, high reward uh, type of prospect, and I know that the the Sharks are going to give him every opportunity to succeed. And if his sample at the end of last year in the AHL is any indication, he should be lights out. But I mean, it's it's a tough division that's getting better all around them, and I don't know if they have enough defensive depth. Uh, past the first two pairs uh, or enough forward depth to make up for the loss of Pavelski to to keep pace. I don't think they're going to be necessarily bad. I'm not saying that. I just think they could stay, take a step back. So with that in mind now, if we had to put you on the spot and you had to put the Pacific Division in your order of how you think they'll finish 1-8, to eight, what does that look like to you? Ooh, this is a tough one. I think that the best team is going to be the Vegas Golden Knights this year, followed by the uh, Calgary Flames, followed by the Sharks, followed by the Arizona Coyotes, followed by the Canucks, followed by the Ducks. And the Oilers will be behind the Ducks, and in last place you've got the Kings who are just going to be one of the least talented teams in the NHL by a significant margin. I was going to say, how is JD going to phrase this uh, gracefully? And you did as gracefully as you possibly could with that roster. Yeah, it's they, they got some tough times in front of them in L.A. And look, they, they have the second best prospect pool in the NHL, according to uh, the good people uh, that I work with at EP Rinkside. That's where we uh, had them designated this year so i think that they've got the stuff to to turn this thing around in two three years perhaps but not right now <laughs> they're in for some real short-term pain but i mean getting alex turcott was huge so we'll see how how this turns out long term but i'm not expecting much if anything <laughs> this year uh so for red wings fans who are listening uh jd actually has a claim to fame that is extremely extremely relevant and uh, for those of you who haven't connected the dots yet uh, jd was the first and only person uh to put the news out there that uh, detroit was considering Moritz cider at uh, pick six which obviously did come to fruition uh, I know, J.D., we talked about it, and there's only so much you can say uh, to protect your sources. Um, but walk us through a little bit about what it was like to hear that news and kind of the, the immediate backlash that you took when you put it out there. Well, I, I think that, uh, you know what, like the, the Vancouver Canucks fan base, it doesn't get much crazier than that. So I don't think anybody was too hostile from the, the Red Wings uh, perspective when I put out the news that the Red Wings wanted to move down because they uh, they coveted more at Cider but weren't especially thrilled with the proposition of the value in front of them at the number six selection and I found that out because one of the teams that they spoke to was the Vancouver Canucks and you know I'm talking to scouts trying to figure out what's going on at the draft and uh, I started hearing rumblings that this team is legitimately considering um legitimately considering uh, trading up to take that six overall pick from Detroit and that Detroit wanted to move down so they could take cider. And I reported as much on my Twitter feed. 
there were a lot of Red Wing fans who just didn't want to believe it and made a lot of very quirky comments to that exact end. And Both of us uh, included, to be completely transparent. Yeah, fair, fair. Am I allowed to swear? Oh, yeah. Yeah, fair shit. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> I've seen the Canucks make their fair share of questionable selections in the top 10. And certainly I understand where Red Wings fans are coming from with that one. And it's not the pick I would have made. I had Cider closer to 20 on the final EP rankings, uh, EP ringside rankings than I did at five. So a bit of a value canyon there, I suppose. But uh, it's it's... I just hope that Red Wings fans are fair to Cider, who is an exceptional uh, human being, uh, comes from a great working class background. Like this kid was born to play for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, he he comes from a blue collar working class family, extremely humble, extremely hard worker, uh, doesn't take himself too seriously. I think that the city, if they just forget about where he was drafted, is going to fall in love with this kid. And there's been a lot of reports to that end coming out of prospect camps. And I think Traverse City. So, I mean, would I have taken him there? Absolutely not. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But I still think he has the potential, the ability to uh, to be somebody who, who turns into a top four defender on the right side. Uh, so I have some some questions about his offensive upside. I, I haven't seen enough at present to project him as an offensive contributor at the NHL level. And I, I have some other concerns. He's, you know, Mitch Brown pointed this out to me when we were doing some of our, our discussions and meetings ahead of last draft, but he really struggles handling the puck on his backhand. And now that I've told you that, you won't be able to unnotice it when you watch him play. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really quite something to see him uh, once it's pointed out to you. So, I mean, like, it's it's a tough spot for the kid to be in, but um, I think that he's got the maturity to handle it, and I'm hope like, I'm pulling for him. I hope he does well, because he's the type of guy you want to see succeed. If it does uh, help placate your fears, J.D., the moment he was drafted, Brad and I both had some pretty uh, colorful reactions, and none of it was directed towards Moritz Sider, and both we and the entire fan base um, have rallied behind the kid. The immediate reaction was, well, this is a surprise. We might not love the pick, but we are now all Moritz Sider fans. And he has uh, not only won the adoration of the fans, he's actually played extremely well and has, has been uh, very promising. So we can see uh, a lot of the upside that the Red Wings management saw in him. The, the, the fan base is kind of surprisingly doing a good job of letting go of where he was drafted and wor- not worrying so much about Zegris or whoever else they could have had. Um, you are a, a prospects expert, so uh, we do want to chat with you a little bit about um, some prospects pertinent to the Red Wings. Um, without rubbing uh, Quinn Hughes too much in our faces, um, tell us a little bit about what it was like for Vancouver to acquire Quinn Hughes, and then similarly what you make of uh, Philip Zadina and, and Joe Valeno from the same draft. Well, it took a lot of good luck for, for Quinn Hughes to be there. And and the Vancouver Canucks have been on the receiving end of uh, players being available to them much lower than they had them ranked on a few occasions. And that was just the the greatest one of all. I think they had him ranked in the top three that year and managed to get him at seven. And you know what? I wouldn't be too upset if I were a Red Wings fan. I think Philip Zadina would have been the consensus pick where they grabbed him, which was one spot before the Canucks. And you know what? The Canucks would have had a tough decision if Zadina and, and Hughes were around. So 
you know what it, it's like it would be fun to rub that in your faces but i don't think that's that's what's happening here uh i i think that you guys got a hell of a player in zadina i think that similarly uh quinn hughes is going to suit the canucks needs uh a lot better than a, a philip zadina would so that worked out for everybody and an interesting thing to to follow here is is the fact that you know the canucks just haven't had a prospect that profiles like a Quinn Hughes ever, period. They have never had an offensive defenseman with his pedigree, with his talent level, with his skill. I mean, it's it's an exciting thing for Canucks fans to see. And I think that the only thing people are waiting for now is, is to see what he can do in, in an extended sample. Because last year we got to see what Quinn Hughes could do in this lineup for five games. He made some absolutely electric plays. He's a fantastic puck carrier. Doesn't matter that he's a bit smaller. He's still a battler. He competes hard for loose pucks. Uh, does everything you'd expect of a defenseman four inches taller. Uh, he's a hell of a player, a hell of a talent, and I'm exceedingly lucky to get to follow his career here in Vancouver. Now, uh, one very quick last question. Looking forward to next year's draft. Uh, Lafreniere has been the consensus number one pick for some time now, um, but there are a few other players that have been rising up maybe even challenging Lafreniere's spot, depending on who you talk to. Uh, what do you make of next year's top-end crop? So they're Tier 1 or Tier 1A and B, uh, and how does that compare to perhaps this past draft or the one before? Well, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of making proclamations this far out. Uh, I Like, I see people putting out their draft boards, and uh, I've got a great deal of respect for that and all the people who do it, but it's it's too early for me. What I can say right now is I think that there are going to be legitimate challengers for that top spot from Alex Lafreniere. Uh, I think that his his footwork, his skating could become an issue. It could create an opening. And, you know, I, I, I for one, I, I've got Quentin Byfield right up there with him. Uh, you know, we'll see whether that lasts for the entirety of the season. There are some very interesting prospects in that top 10. There are some very enticing prospects in that top 10, but... I mean, the the example I always fall back on is the fact that nobody had uh, Miro Heiskanen even in the first round of their draft to start the year. And then he was a, a number three overall pick. So, I mean, with that example, it's way too early for me to compare this draft to any draft of years past. But I just feel comfortable at present saying that uh, there is some immense talent in, in the top ten in particular. Uh, it's a good year for, for the CHL. It's a good year for Canadian prospects, period. And uh, it's a bad year to not have a first-round pick. Just getting a little myopic here and looking at what the Vancouver Canucks have done in this calendar year. It's it's going to be a good draft uh, based on what I'm seeing now. And hopefully that holds for the remainder of the year. Well, J.D., what your professional responsibility just bought you was an invite uh, back to the Wing Wheel podcast closer to the next year's draft. So congratulations on roping yourself in. Uh, but truly, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a blast. Uh, I know the fans are uh, thrilled to hear from you. Um, thanks again, and uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you again soon. No worries. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. All right. Welcome back. Uh, that was our interview with JD. Thank you so much, JD, for uh, talking everything from uh, Vancouver to the rest of the hockey world to prospects with us. Um, definitely someone we're going to have back as we talk more about uh, this upcoming draft class of prospects. Uh, he handled that professionally, like I mentioned, um, which is a good change of pace considering our usual. He's a much better speaker than us. He's, yeah. 
I, it makes sense that he does all of what he does now. <laughs> uh, so he covered Vancouver. So we're just going to skip ahead now to uh, the San Jose Sharks in our own Pacific Division preview. Uh, San Jose did have uh, an interesting offseason. They actually just named uh, Logan Couture captain. Yeah, he's got a bunch of years left on his contract. Makes sense. And he's the guy who always wakes them up in the playoffs. Uh, they just brought back Joe Thornton at a one-year, $2 million deal. Fantastic. He'll never retire. Uh, they retained Eric Carlson on that $11.5 million deal. Again, the kind of deal where if you're going to be overpaying for a guy, at least it's a superstar, one of the best players in the league. Uh, Brent, I'll fight anybody who disagrees, Brent Burns. which I have on Twitter numerous times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, their 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 decor starts with Carlson Burns and Mark Edward Vlasic, so it's not never going to be a bad decor. Uh, they have the most insulting contract in the league in Kevin LeBanc at a one million dollar deal. My favorite. We don't want to talk about it, Brett. <laughs> uh, an interesting team that I think is going to be um still very good. And if we're talking about that threshold of good that you have to be to contend for a cup, I think they are technically in that threshold. Do you agree or disagree? Yes, but it's less likely than it was last year. Mind you, they got really close last year, but Joe Thornton's another year older, and they just lost, what, 35 goals with Joe Pavelski walking out the door? Right, and Joe Pavelski leaving is the biggest thing there. The the one thing that um, JD, I don't think, mentioned when he was talking about the Sharks, how much does Brent Burns' production get hurt this year? Because as good as Brent Burns is, and I'm not trying to demean him as a player, but... One of the reasons he gets as many points as he does is because he loves to shoot the puck. Anywhere, anytime, any angle, it doesn't matter. And because the Sharks had arguably the player who's the best puck deflector in the NHL in Joe Pavelski, Burns had a lot of assists come off goals that had no business going in the net because Pavelski just made the impossible redirect. Now... That might cost Burns probably only five to ten points this year, but that's still five to ten points, and that's 35 goals they're not getting. So it's, it's not insignificant. It's not just Pavelski. It's Pavelski, Jonas Donskoy, and Gustav Nyquist that they lost. Yes, Donskoy and Nyquist. Well, they lost like two months of Gus Nyquist. But. Right. Um, here's the thing about Brent Burns. He's never been a phenomenal defender, and that's no secret. He's a specialist in putting himself in favorable offensive situations. So I think he'll adapt... I think, like you said, they might have lost 25 goals worth of value or whatever it is, but he'll find a way to mitigate that. So the impact won't be a one-to-one ratio, if that makes no, sense. No, yeah, it won't be a one-to-one. He'll still be fine. Um, at least for the next few years, which is all they need. They're not worried about Brent Burns at the end of his contract. They're worried about trying to win a cup now. Yeah, the the, the basic question that comes down to the Sharks this year, if, if we're just going to oversimplify this, will the progression we see this year from Tomash Hurdle and Timo Meyer cancel out the loss of Pavelski and the aging of Burns, Carlson, Thornton, and Vlasic. Very well could, because Hurdle and especially Timo Meyer are no joke. Timo uh, Meyer was not brought up in terms of this like crazy RFA class, and he really should have been. Yeah, and he was he was a 30-goal scorer, but then it comes to how many more does he have in him? I wouldn't bet it's much more than he just scored. How old is Timo Meyer? 23? 22. 22. I bet he has more. Not. I wouldn't bet a ton more, though. Uh, this Again, is- I still think they're going to be one of the top teams in the division. They're still going to be really good, but eh, I liked them better last year, if that makes sense. Of course. Devil's advocate, and this isn't something that I, that I necessarily believe in. Did they let Pavelski walk at the right time? 
were they a year or even less away from his age curve starting to take a significant dip? The, with the style of game he plays, yeah, it was the right time to walk away in the sense that he what did he get a three year contract? Three years, seven million was it? Yeah, it, it's not the best value in the world, but this season mm, he's still going to be really good. He definitely will be. Um, but that's the kind of tough decision you have to make when you sign Eric Carlson for eleven point five. You're going to be letting guys go. Yeah, and um, Doug Wilson is the master of rebuilding on the fly. Of course, so. I have faith he knows what he's doing. Uh, a team that I think people are forgetting that are still going to be really good is a, the next one on our list here is the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, they added one of the best players in hockey like on the planet in Mark Stone. And they he's 27 years old, and they added him at a $9.5 million deal. When you talk about Mitch Marner getting nearly 11, and you have Mark Stone for 9.5 as a UFA, oh boy, that is a phenomenal contract stone does everything and he does everything at an elite level he is for a team that was not lacking in best players he's their best player and that is absolutely excellent for them it is a fantastic acquisition um they have the pedigree they pretty much like left the playoffs on a fluke on a bad penalty call and then a completely collapsed penalty kill. Yeah, San Jose went to game six of the conference final and objectively should not have got out of the first round against Vegas. It was a really bad penalty call followed by one really bad penalty kill and that was Vegas this season. Uh, they have an excellent roster full of players and they also have a lot of uh, like good prospects like Nick Haig, Zach Whitecloud, Jake Biscoff. A lot of guys can make that next step. Cody Glass. That, those are just on defense. At forward, Cody Glass, Tomas Nosek, from, who is a Detroit player, Brandon Peary. Those are all guys who could step up into a bigger role now. This is a serious roster. You know, Stone, Pacioretty, Stastny, William Carlson, Riley Smith, and Jonathan Marceau, and Alex Tuck as your top however many paid players. I don't. Those are all excellent guys to have on your team. Defensive depth still concerns me a little bit, especially losing Colin Miller. They lost Colin Miller, so they're they have Nate Schmidt, Shea Theodore, Braden McNabb as their top three. I don't think that's a bad. I think that's a good group. Um, I don't know if it's a it's top, not great. I don't know if it's a top end group, but okay, put that group with Toronto right now, and I think Toronto's a cup favorite. Oh, easy. Yeah. So, what's the really what's the practical difference in goals on the ice between Vegas and Toronto? Is the question. Uh, it's not a huge difference. I'm I'm a big big fan of Vegas's roster the way it's constructed. Um, age might be a concern for some of these players like Pacioretty and Stastny. Soon, I wouldn't bet this year, but you never know. Yeah, Pacioretty has had some down years recently. So, and they did lose Eric Hall at Carolina, although he missed all of last season with an injury, and they were still good. So I don't think that's the biggest loss in the world. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes. Biggest story for them this offseason, acquiring Phil Kessel. Kessel, there's been a lot that came out recently about Kessel's departure from Pittsburgh, which we'll talk more about in future episodes. Um, but he wasn't traded because he was a bad player. Kessel has been one of the most consistently high-performing goal scorers in the league for the past, what, decade? Yep. Uh, that is huge for them. For a team that was lacking goals, uh, having Phil Kessel as your best player is, is awesome. Uh, they acquired Nick Schmaltz. It was last year. Yeah, yeah. they made that trade. Um, and they promptly signed him to a $5.85 million extension. Um, Oliver Ekman Larson is a fantastic number one defense uh, defenseman to have. Nick Yalmerson is an excellent defender. They have Jacob Chikorin. They have Jason Demers. They have Alex Goligoski. Oh, man, that's where Alex Goligoski is. 
Forgot about him. Uh, this is an interesting team. You didn't even mention arguably their best player. Who? Clayton Keller. You think Clayton Keller is their best player? Could be. That's true. And they just extended Clayton Keller. Uh, $7.15 million uh, contract extension. That was a ballsy extension. That is. They're essentially banking on Clayton Keller getting significantly better. If Yeah. Yeah. Because Clayton Keller last year uh, wouldn't have even been in the top three in scoring on the Red Wings, which is horrifying. Top two or three. Uh, but he led the Coyotes in scoring, which is also horrifying. If they get goals, they'll be good because they've got one of the best goaltending teams in the league. Really strong defense. And maybe the worst depth at forward in the league. So, and, and no and no top end other than Kessel and maybe Keller now. They're not going to be winning the division, but I can see them sneaking into the playoffs. If you ever want the argument of why what Toronto's doing is a good idea, Arizona's the argument for it. Because they don't have superstars up front, and that's why they missed the playoffs last year. They And they suffer from injuries year over year. They need to figure that out. They need to stay away from from losing guys to injuries for prolonged periods, uh, periods of time. And too bad Arizona Barwis is ours. Um, the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, I, I agree with JD here, and I think they're going to be sneaky good. You think so? I think so. Uh, well, two, two reasons why. First being John, second being Gibson. Right. You could make an argument, again, like JD said, that I, I tend to agree with. He might be the best goalie in the NHL. Had it not been for some injury troubles in his young career thus far, you'd we'd probably be making that argument right now. The Anaheim Ducks are a factory of just churning out amazing goaltenders. Yep. And they have been, what, since J.S. Jaguar? Yeah. And that it, is nuts. And Ryan Miller is the backup still there, which is, he's no slouch. He's not no. what he used to be, but it means when Gibson can't go or needs a night off, they're still going to be all right. Um, Kessler's out for the year with injury. They don't have Corey Perry anymore. Uh, they might have Justin Falk soon. That's kind of sitting in limbo right now. Um, <laughs> if they give up Andre Kasha, and it's Justin terrible. Falk, that's awful. It's awful. So they still have, hopefully, Ricard Raquel stays healthy for the full season and doesn't screw my fantasy team in the last week again. Right. Um, they still have Ryan Getzlaff. They still have Jakob Silverberg. They still have Hampus Lindholm. They still have Josh Manson. Adam Henrique. Yeah, I'm not saying they're going to be a good team. I'm not even saying they'll make the playoffs. But they're going to keep it interesting. They're better than they showed last year. If that is, that's the way I want to put it. They're better than they showed. They can be, and they did. Uh, they replaced their coach, did they? Yeah, they don't have Wendy anymore. Which Dallas Eakins. Yep, that's who it is. And um, who's done a phenomenal job with the Gulls, their AHL affiliate. Du-du-du-du. Everybody's getting in better shape on that team now. I was going to say I was I was trying to figure out who he replaced in. Uh, Bob Murray kept coming to mind before I realized remember that Bob Murray was GM coach yeah that's what it was yeah uh, okay the Connor McDavid's uh, they will go exactly as far as Connor McDavid carries the Connor McDavid's Tricidal will help but they're the Connor Connor McDavid McDavid's they have James Neal who I think isn't certainly done in his career I think he could have a bounce back season Oh, I love that trade for Edmonton. Oh, yeah. Nobody who is that talented of a goal scorer has such a precipitous drop and doesn't at least have a chance of coming back. But it's still, no matter which way you cut it, it's still better than having Lucic in his contract. Yeah, exactly. James Neal could perform exactly as he did last year, and the trade is still a wash. Any improvement is fantastic. They have to hope that um, Peter Torelli's signing of Miko Koskinen doesn't completely screw them because they have him for three more years. At four and a half per year. But they have Mike Smith as the backup now. It's bizarre. 
They just they Whatever. just signed it's Riley a, Shahan, which I thought was a good signing. Yeah, that was a good value signing. They had they're a team that lacks depth, so all the Red Wings fans were gonna laugh about uh, Riley Shahan can't score goals. Well, and sadly for Edmonton, he's still an upgrade. If they had to sign Leon Dreisaitl this year, they'd be screwed. They have him for eight and a half million dollars, and they're laughing now. Yeah, because he had a hundred points last year. <laughs> Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl as your number one two centers, or even if you want to put Dreisaitl on McDavid's line, is phenomenal. Everything after that gets a little sketchy. Hey, Nuge is. I was awesome. going to say, don't you dare disrespect my boy. I love Nuge. Nuge, but once you get to Nuge, he's not working with anything anymore. Yeah, he might have James Neal this year. That might be something. Like if Zach, if you have Connor McDavid and Zach Cassian is on his wing, you got to change something. Ken Holland has a lot of work cut out for him. A ton of work cut out here. Their defense him. is at least respectable now, though, between Darnell Nurse, Oscar Clefbaum, uh, maybe Evan Bouchard gets a full-time look this year, and they have that power play quarterback they've been so desperately lacking. Um, I shouldn't sell Clefbaum short on that, but he's not a lead at it. Bouchard might be. So, yeah, there's... I'm not going to write Edmonton off like everybody else has because, again, the fact remains, they have Connor McDavid, and they went to the second round of the playoffs with just as weak a roster. So some good luck with health this year. McDavid goes off. Neil even improves marginally. I, I think, again, not saying they will make the playoffs, but they they have the potential to keep it interesting. On the flip side, a team that almost definitely won't, the LA Kings... Yeah, ooh, ah. Speaking of old. Drew Doughty is 29 and is signed for $11 million until the end of time. Um, that was one of those back-paying contracts. Yeah, he's still good, though. So he's, still, he's still one of the best defensemen in the league. He is far from the problem on that team right now. He had a poor year last year by his standards. Um, yeah, bizarre lineup. Like They have Kopitar and Dustin Brown and Jeff Carter. Those are the old guard. Tyler Toffoli, but Ilya Kovalchuk. After, like, what do you really have out, outside of that? I'm a fan of Adrian Kempe. I mean, he's yeah. not a game breaker, but hey, you got to take the positives when you can get them. Jack Campbell is turning out to be a very, it looks like he's finally panning out as a possibly starting goaltender, which is good because they're going to need to replace Quick at some point. Well, no, they don't because Quick still has infinity years left on his contract. Four more at 5.8. That's a bad contract right now. But yeah, I think it's time you start giving Campbell the reins. Um, yeah, there's not a lot to love about this team. They're they're bad. No. Yeah. They're they, real bad. Unless unless Kopitar and Doughty like have again another Hart and Norris possible season, it's gonna be a season of pain. But the thing is it's Drew Doughty and Andre Kopitar, so those things are possible. Not likely, but possible. The Calgary Flames are for some reason obsessed with trading with their biggest rival, the Edmonton Oilers. Um, both literally in acquiring Milan Lucic in a move that makes sense for absolutely no one in my mind. Um, makes sense for Edmonton. Sorry, it makes sense for no one who could possibly be making that move if they're the GM of the Calgary Flames, which is bizarre because I really think Brad Living is a really good GM. Uh, they brought in uh, Cam Talbot, former Edmonton goaltender. Um, this is still going to be a good hockey team, Mark. My, hold on. My favorite offseason story, maybe in the NHL that didn't get nearly enough attention, is the Calgary Flames, uh, as part of their offseason transactions, bought out Michael Stone. And oh, then three yeah, months yeah. later, signed Michael Stone. And they saved a ton of money on their cap hit, like uh, 700000 or $1.7 million, one of the two. Yeah, because that made sense, especially considering he had one year left on the contract. Well, they're, they're 
pretty high up against the cap. I mean, they're going to be a good team. You have Johnny Goudreau in at six point seven five million. That is an absolute steal. You know, Sean Monahan, Elias Lindholm, even Sam Bennett could have a good year. Uh, Mark Giordano's playing the best hockey of his career somehow, at age thirty five. You have Noah Hannafin, uh, T.J. Brody, Travis Hamonic, and Oliver uh, Shellington coming up. Uh, through the ranks. It's a good balanced roster. Yeah. And that's even once Matthew Kachuk gets signed. Right. Which they, still needs to happen and probably will happen maybe soon. Braden Point and Matthew Kachuk have to be laughing after that Marner deal, right? Oh, yeah. They're and the Miko happiest Rantanen. people on the planet. Braden Point has to be paid $12 million a year now. And they won't be able to afford it. I'm not sold points better than Marner. I, but I would take Point over Marner. I know we've done this a lot. Yeah. But uh, the big question in Calgary isn't how good their forwards are. They're pretty good. It isn't how good their defense is. It's pretty good. It's the fact that their goaltenders are David Riddick and Cam Talbot. Yeah, it's not pretty good. And David Riddick was good last year. Make no mistake. But how many times have we seen a goalie come in out of nowhere, have one really good year, and then fizzle out? We're looking at you, Jim Carrey. Um, <laughs> so that's a massive, massive risk in Calgary right now. Cam Talbot, when he's on and is having one of those freaky, like, this random goalie is going to be amazing this year, years, is fantastic. We've seen it before. You really have to bank on that happening because otherwise you're wasting a year of of being able to hold this roster together. You're wasting a year of Mark Giordano being still an effective top-end defenseman, although he seems to be impervious to aging properly. Yeah, uh, Someone moved his age curve down 10 years. Um, He's actually 25. We've just been reading it wrong. Pretty much, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, okay, the 80s. He was, anyways. Except he looks like he's 45, so. Oh, it's the Italian in him. Yeah. Um, the Calgary Flames right now grizzled. are. grizzled. Yeah, that's that's the word. Right now, my my the Calgary Flames are my front runner for a February Jimmy Howard. That is an excellent point. And that's a huge departure from last year where it was the Calgary Flames who were the front runner for a February Jimmy Howard. And then they'll be next year who. They'll probably be the front runners for a February Jonathan Bernier. <laughs> <laughs> he still has two years left in his deal, yeah? yeah? Exactly. So next year. Absolutely. Next season. Okay. Let's do the dance. Underperforming team, dark horse team to overperform, and then we'll do our standings. Uh, underperforming team. I'm not going to stray very far from the conversation. I'm going to say the Calgary Flames because I think on paper their roster is one of the best in the league, but I cannot buy into that goaltending yet. Just yet. This will be one like a month or two into the season. I'll know if I'm right or wrong because if Riddick can put together a solid start, then all will be well in Flamesland. But if he doesn't, uh-oh. Uh, the dogs like that answer. Yep. Um, mine's going to be a cheap answer because we know this team's not going to be good. But based on how they spend and what their prerogative right now, I think Vancouver's going to come nowhere near the kind of success they should be having for the money that they spent on their players. But they do have an Elias Pettersson. They do have an Elias Pettersson, but how far can that carry you? Far. Maybe to almost making the playoffs. Maybe. Probably not, but maybe. They yeah. also have a Quinn Hughes and a Brock Besser. I can, and you know what? That's why I can see them having a year where they overperform, everything goes right for them. But they're not going to get the kind of results that warrants paying, you know, Tyler Myers the money. To oh, no, no, no. Yeah, they are very much going to be stuck in the murky middle. Uh, a, a team that I think is going to succeed. I don't see. I don't know because I think everyone's going to fall in where they are. I think Vegas is going to have another phenomenal year. I think Vegas is going to win their division by a lot. I have my answer. Who's your answer? Edmonton. Edmonton. I For the same reasons I have 
problems with Calgary. I can't ever bet on a team with weak goaltending. I also can't fully bet against Connor McDavid. No, but the guy can't play 30 minutes a night. I, I, I think, mean, he can, but... I think Koskinen Smith is going to be not a great goaltending tandem, but steadier than what they got last year. I think the addition of a guy like Evan Bouchard on their power play is going to help because McDavid's not a power play specialist, and that's one huge area of improvement for them. Uh, even though it's like minor moves, I do expect James Neal to have a bit of a bounce back here. I think Riley Shahan is an upgrade at their offensive depth. And again, main reasons for this, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. This is not a good division. San Jose and Calgary are prime candidates for regression. I'm not saying they will. I'm not even betting that they will. But I'm just saying all the signs of a team that teams that are good, but you can see taking a step back are there. If it's this year, if it's next year, if it's the year after, I don't know. But until Calgary gets some goaltending and San Jose finds some youth, the, the question mark will always be there. And again, I'm going to circle back to my main point here. Connor McDavid. Do I think Edmonton makes the playoffs? Again, like I've said, all episode, no. But I think they're good enough to make it interesting because right now people have them penciled in for bottom five in the league. Almost everywhere I see, it's Edmonton and LA comfortably in the bottom two of this division, and I don't think Edmonton's in the same class as LA. All right. Uh, standings from the bottom up or from the top down. Um, I'll go first. Uh, I think the worst is going to be LA. Um, people won't, Vancouver fans won't like this, but I think. Uh, Why do you make us go from the bottom up? I always think top down. <laughs> oh, okay, let's do top down. Okay, I think it's going to go Vegas, San Jose, Calgary. Uh, I think Arizona is going to stay at fourth in the division. Uh, you guys have convinced me. I think Vancouver, or sorry, uh, Anaheim will be fifth. Uh, Vancouver and Edmonton sixth. Vancouver seventh. LA eighth. Okay. I also have Vegas winning the division. Yep. I'm a fan. Uh, I'm going to put enough faith in David Riddick to put Calgary second. Okay. Very uncomfortably. I'm going to put, again, uncomfortably going to put San Jose third. Because now here's what it comes down to. And here's the real reason I have these three at the top. Not that I love Calgary or San Jose the way they're primed. I have zero faith in the rest of this division. Every other team I have massive question marks next to their name. And I think from this point all the way down to LA, it's a crapshoot. Like a real, true crapshoot. Yeah. So I'm going to go Edmonton 4, Anaheim 5, Arizona 6, Vancouver 7, LA 8. Okay. Uh, before we get to overtime, uh, I actually want to read out... Um, a very special happy birthday. And that's a, a happy birthday to Lars Thorzell. Um, Lars, you are an incredibly lucky man. Uh, your wife, Helen, sent us a very sweet message uh, wanting to wish you a happy birthday. From everything that she said, I, I was nearly sobbing by the end of it. It was so heartwarming. But from everything that she said, uh, you have an extremely loving family uh, over with you in Sweden. And... Um, we want to say thank you to them for putting up with our voices. Apparently, they uh, fall asleep to us quite a bit, which is more than what we bargained for when uh, we know we're putting our voices out there. Uh, and thank you to you to all of uh, for all of your support. So have an excellent birthday uh, from Helen, Elise, and Sigrid Thorzell, and of course, us, Ryan, Brad, and even Evan, who's not here. Um, so happy birthday, Lars. 
All right, we're going to get over to Patreon where um, all of their comments get read out. Uh, on air is on air is our way of saying thank you for supporting the show, Brad. You saw my eyes do this. Uh, it's because we had twenty nine comments today. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, Joe Falzon says this facade of not naming Larkin captain is so tongue in cheek. I'll be convinced if he doesn't have it by game three. Who are your sleeper picks among both the high end prospect and the depth guys to make the team for the Red Wings? Yeah, I feel like we answered this one. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think the dark horse that actually has like a legitimate chance to make this team is Joe Hicketts. Yeah. Because he's not waiver eligible, so they might factor that in, and he's been there, done that. So, yeah, that's my answer, because I think we all expect in some capacity Hiroshi Zadina, Rasmussen, Svechnikov to have a shot. Um, Chase Pearson. I don't know what they're going to do with him, but I think he had a good prospect tournament. I can't really say what he did at camp, but he might see NHL games. I don't think he'll make the roster permanently, but he might see NHL games. Oh, he'll see NHL games, yeah, because it's... The Red Wings, there will be many injuries. You want a dark horse among high-end prospects? I mean, Valeno, I guess. Sure. He's the only one. Brendan B. Singer says, So I know I haven't posted here in a while, but I thought of the perfect comparison the other day and I need to share. The Leafs under Babcock equals Michigan under Harbaugh. Both have really good teams that appear to be underperforming because of having a powerhouse in their own division. Bruins equals Ohio State, which also works for fan comparisons. If Michigan was in the Big Ten West, they would almost surely have made it to the Big Ten championship game. And same with the Leafs getting out of the first round in the Metro. I now see how hilarious Michigan's struggling is from an outsider's perspective, but I have to sympathize with Leafs fans because I completely get the feeling. The interview with Steve is what had uh, had this prompt into my mind. Thoughts? Uh, as a Michigan fan, that makes me feel better. That makes me feel sad. Yeah, also that. I don't, I don't like Harbaugh. I just want that on record. I'm sure he's a good dude, but as a coach, I don't like him. Uh, Jonathan M. Shulman says, hey, boy, oh, I love Harbaugh. He's cool. because you eat chicken. Yeah, I do. You timid bird eating. <laughs> Jonathan M. Shulman says, hey, boys, I've listened to your podcast for a minute, uh, so I thought I'd become a Patreon supporter. Here's a post about Stay Fresh Cheese Bags. Jonathan, thank you so much for your support. That means so much. All of you new patrons, and you guys have been coming in, Like, thank you so much. Uh, what are your thoughts on the rule changes for the 2019-2020 season? Oh, my God. I forgot what they were. Yeah, uh, the expanded re- video review. No. Yeah, you opened up a can of worms. I'm not going to expand. I'm just going to say no. Uh, I, I actually forget what they Oh, expansion of the coaches challenge. Uh, review yeah. of major match penalties. Uh, Dumb. There's more helmet rules. Oh, a player has to leave the ice in a reasonable manner if their helmet comes off. Good. Uh, Smart. Defensive team will not be permitted to make a line change when a goalie freezes the puck on any shot from outside the center red line. True. Oh, um, one off. thing. One thing that I actually saw in action at the red at the it was so cool to see at the Kitchener Rangers preseason game picking the face off. I love that. That one. was cool. I like that. You can see the ref go up to just like whoever he figured the best player on the ice was. Where are we going here? Uh, if the goalpost is deliberately displaced by a goalkeeper during the course of a breakaway, the goal is automatically awarded. That should have been a rule already. That was the um, – oh, I can't remember the goalie's name. But it's, it's because of a very specific goalie. Yes. Uh, and when the attacking team is responsible for the puck going out of play in the attacking zone, the faceoff will be conducted at one of the two faceoff dots in the attacking zone. I like that. Forces more offense. Oh, so you're not going to get punished for the puck going over the glass? Yes. Because my biggest my, – my beer league heart, my biggest pet peeve is if I ring one off the crossbar and it goes out of yeah. play. Like, come on. That was a good shot. Don't yeah. punish me for it. <laughs> Uh, Flattus Maximus says, howdy do dud, dud buds. Uh, everyone is obviously hyped for Valeno for good reason. Do you think he'll crack the lineup to open the season? If not, how long do you see him in Grand Rapids? Uh, until there's injuries. 
Uh, yeah, I don't think he'll start, but I think he will make it up. Uh, always a pleasure to listen and keep up the good work, boys. If there are no injuries, he will get the Zadina treatment. He'll get his nine games when they feel it appropriate. Uh, Nathan Miller says, long time since I commented. I hope you're all good. Looking forward to fantasy hockey this year. Uh, yeah, Evan says, oh, Dana is a brand new patron. Welcome, Dana, and thank you so much for your support. Uh, Dana says, hey, this is only semi-Red Wings related, but have you guys discussed the fact that uh, Atanas Illich, son of Mike uh, Illich, Mike and Illich Holdings executive, starred as the Driller Killer, the 80s horror classic Slumber Party Massacre. Oh. Yes. Uh, Liz Barbudo says, so what if the no captain thing is just a smokescreen and what they're actually going to do is announce Larkin as captain during the opening player intros? Uh, it's probably just wishful thinking on my part. It better be. Uh, Steve Eisenman is not one for the dramatics, but it's so good you have to kind of wish for it. Uh, Rowan says, good day, dud duds. Almost time to do the hockey, but the Rugby World Cup kicks off this week, so tune into that, obviously. Well done on getting to the 1,000 subscribers. Oh, yeah. We reached 1,000 YouTube subscribers. We were, like, edging so closer for so far, and then Rowan actually put out a tweet that said, all right, guys. Uh, he made it, He was making a bunch of jokes about unsubscribing just because it's Rowan. Um, and he's like, all right, guys, game's over. Let's get him over 1,000. And he was messaging me. He's like, by the time Thursday night football is done, you guys are going to be over 1,000. And he was right. I woke up, and we were, like, well over 1,000. So, Rowan, thank you for putting us over the hill, and thank you all. Over 1,000 YouTube subscribers. A month ago, we had half that. Nothing is more affirming for us to dedicate inordinate amount of our lives to this podcast. It still makes me uncomfortable. Oh, that the camera's there? Yeah, I have so many weird tics as we're going that I just don't think about because it's never mattered. And I forget that's there for 90% of the episode. And then I'll catch myself doing something stupid. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, no, right. Uh, I had to tell Brad that we have to stop pressing our faces against our pop filters because A, the mics are picking it up and B, we look ridiculous. And Brad was like, all we do is weird stuff. Can we? What? <laughs> Video is a funny venture for us. Yeah. Like maybe one day we'll make it a shtick where we'll just do things in front of the camera and not call attention to it and see how people react. Uh, Rowan continues to say, new goal, get Evan to 1,000 <laughs> Twitter followers. That's right. Mass unfollow. It's so easy. <laughs> oh, I say, is he not there yet? <laughs> <laughs> Go to his profile and smash that unfollow button. For too long, he has coasted by riding the coattails of Bad Take Brad and Crying Ryan. <laughs> Together, we can achieve this goal. For every person that unfollows Evan, Ryan will br- slap Brad live on video. Do the right thing, people. That is confirmed. That is a can deal. I put my th- costume back on from earlier? Absolutely, you can. Uh, <laughs> So the prospect tournament was hashtag fun. Good to see hashtag German Lidstrom and hashtag must see JV. Clearly the best JV in Detroit since Verlander. Just be head and shoulders above the competition. Also very pleasing to see Zadina not waste any goals and save them for the actual season. No point in filling the net with pucks if there's only a small audience. Smart. Jersey time. Well, well, well. Adidas have managed to not heck up the last three jersey releases. I for one am shocked but also extremely worried that if the Wings get a third it will still be a big yikes. Rank the three just released. Jets, Flames, and Blues. Oh, God. Oh, no. Okay, Flames are in the bottom. Okay. I, I That's the only one I can establish right away, and I love those jerseys, but they're number three. They're like three of very three, like three very good jerseys. Like, objectively, the Jets is the best jersey. Yes. But the nostalgia of the Blues one, I don't. The 90s of it, Ryan. Yes. They did not. They like, didn't take away any. They didn't try to clean any of it up. They no. said Work it or going all out 90s bullshit. I saw the I saw it on Reddit originally and the top comment was just perfect. He's like, I love how they didn't tinker with this, is just pure 90s bullshit. It, that's it's, what it is. It's perfect. Okay. 
I can't put those Jets jerseys anywhere other than number one. The Blues now have one of the best uniform sets in the league because they're keeping their baby blue thirds, which yeah. is like, oh, and they're wearing, but they're wearing chef's kiss. They're wearing one. They're wearing the '90s bullshit jerseys for three games, and one of them is against the Red Wings. Yeah, I'm so happy. I can't not put them one. I live on this podcast, and Rowan knows this. With almost every take I have on jerseys, my preference goes to pure '90s bullshit. I can't vote against it. Uh, I have to go Jets, Blues, Flames. You go Blues, Jets, Flames. Uh, as always, this content is proudly brought to you by Stay Fresh Cheese Bags. When you need to keep all your goals fresh and clean for the regular season, store them in a Stay Fresh. Store them in Stay Fresh Cheese Bags. Scorer's choice. Uh, Marissa, otherwise known as Give Larks the Sea on Twitter, just says no comment. So I wasn't too far off. <laughs> uh, Michael Barry uh, says, "Hey guys, with NHL 20 being released, there's a new trade finder system. No one wanted Justin Abdelkader or Franz Nielsen's contract alone. So here are the two deals I was able to get: Justin Abdelkader plus a Detroit second plus Washington second for LA King to the LA Kings for their third and fifth round picks. By the way, offering the two seconds was the least I could give up to get an offer. Ooh." Uh, yeah, I'm not. As much as I hate the Applicator contract, I'm not giving up two second round picks in a rebuild. Franz Nielsen and a third for the Sa- and San Jose's third for Ottawa's fourth in 2020 and their fourth in 2021. Uh, mm, I'm closer on that one because I don't. I'm not married to third and fourth round picks, but I probably still wouldn't. Closer, but I wait to see if the the Red Wings get any compliance buyouts. Uh, yeah, and it's and the further you go down the rabbit hole with these contracts, the cheaper they become to offload. Again, the Red Wings have no expectations over the next two years. There's no reason to uh, unload them. Matthew Tangsrud says, "What's up, guys? Long time no comment. With all due respect to Rowan." Fournier and the rest of their gang, I will not be partaking in either the Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, the Dud Duds, or the Helm is Elite comments. However, I am fully on board the hashtag German Litstrom bandwagon. You guys are. This this fan base has just evolved into a beast of its own with several heads. Um, I was wondering if you saw the tweet prior to training camp by uh, Dana. Uh, I'm going to butcher her name. Uh, Wakiji? Waki, Wakiji? I have to look I, up I like to, it. I know she's not Hawaiian, but I like to go that way. Uh, G-E? Dana W. And I have to ask her one day how to pronounce it. In uh, which Sider said that he has every intention of playing in North America this season, either in Grand Rapids or Detroit. Uh, want to hear your thoughts on this. My feeling is good on him for having this attitude, but it may not be realistic. That's pretty much where I landed. It's good for him to go for. I could also see that having an impact. I mean, if they wanted to send him back to Germany, but he really insisted on playing here. I could kind of see them honoring that. I want him in Grand Rapids, honestly. If it weren't if it weren't for the absolute glut of defensemen in the Red Wings system right now, where I don't know where they find a spot for him. They would certainly have to unload a couple defensemen, and that's not even up for debate. They just physically don't have enough roster spots. Someone has to go. Uh, I don't think they'd have to unload anyone of significance to get Cider in there, so I'm on board for it. So maybe recoup the pick they gave up for Adam Ernie by sending, I don't know who Hicketts or someone um, to give Sider the spot. Cause I want Sider playing top four minutes in Grand Rapids. I think that's the best course for his development. It's in the Red Wing system. They can give him adequate ice time. He learns North American ice. And again, more specifically in the way the Red Wings want to play it. And they can be over his shoulder all year helping develop him. There's not going to be a literal ocean between them. And again, as much as we want to say it, the big ice, Europe to North America, it's a different game. It's not dramatically different, but it's different enough that it sways my decision if I were Steve Eiserman. 
Uh, it goes on to say, also a bit annoyed by the lack of captain again this year, but all Vorkin's public comments have done nothing but solidify the fact that he will be captain someday. However, in the meantime, why not put the C on the chest of an all-time great and elite talent such as Helm? I thought you wouldn't be partaking in this. Ugh. Uh, or at the very least, keep the C from getting stale and keep inside one of the, those stay fresh cheese bags. I've been bamboozled. <laughs> uh, guaranteed to preserve the reverence for the bright beacon of hope and admiration known as the Red Wings. C, a Fournier company, later Dud Duds, Rowan, long distance high five. I was, act- I've been had. You've been had. It's a ruse. <laughs> Joseph Fournier says, hey, fellas, congrats on 1K YouTube subscribers. Circling back to Cronwell's retirement, I don't believe he has the credentials to get into the Hall of Fame. You've lightly touched on this before. Would you reiterate your thoughts? Have they changed at all? Okay. Cronwell to the Hall of Fame? No. The he... Hall is weird, and sometimes people get in with Cronwell's level of pedigree. Nobody has. Nobody. I don't think he objectively reaches that bar. It's the it's... If they put him in, it would be a big surprise. It's not the Hall of Very Good. He's His, name's, his number's not going to be in the rafters either. No, and that doesn't discount who he is, who or who he was to the Red Wings. But the Hall of Fame is a very high bar. I don't, I just don't see him getting in. It would be a big surprise. Although he, he's, it's like, it wouldn't be like people would be talking about it to the end of time. People would be like, <laughs> really, Cronwell over some of the other guys that aren't in yet? Okay, let's put it this way. Let's just put it objectively. If you talk to a thousand hockey fans who aren't Red Wings fans about Henrik Zetterberg going to the Hall of Fame. That vote's going to be far closer to 50-50 than you would like to think. So if Zetterberg's a fringe Hall of Famer, Cronwall doesn't have a chance. Um, I understand shielding Larkin from the gong show that will be the post-game press this year, but isn't there also value in giving him the C now in order to lead the rebuild and take the pressure off him later when they're supposed to be getting better? Yeah, that was Brad's point exactly, actually. Um, either Eisenman wants to wait a year to get a better feel for the team, or he's not convinced that Larkin is this guy. Uh, sorry about all the cheese bags. I guess the joke isn't fresh anymore. Insert your own Marner contract cheese bag joke here. <laughs> Stay fresh. Hey, man. Yeah, I As goofy as you guys are and as much as you're weird as hell and that's coming from a very weird person i love you and i don't want you guys to change at all we're here for it yeah uh joseph delia says sup guys uh just curious as to when you guys will kick back into two a week uh also mo money stacks apple cider appreciation post thanks for putting up with our weirdness uh you guys let us know we were planning on the first week of october if you want it to happen sooner i think we can start making that make that start happening sooner you tweet at us and let us know Yep, and also we need to hammer a schedule because we've got a few guest possibilities. Uh, Cody G says, a little over a year ago, I reviewed the Wing Wheel podcast on iTunes, which is huge for us, by the way. If you guys have the time, please give us a review there. Um, And Ryan was kind enough to read it aloud for the rest of the class. I believe in that review, I offered a deal that if I became a patron, uh, you guys had to begin releasing two episodes a week. I appreciate you doing that despite it taking me up until a few days ago to hold up my end of the bargain. Well, thank you, Cody. It's okay. Uh, it's no problem at all. Your support means the world to us, and I'm glad we can come to an agreement. Uh, happy to finally support a podcast that's become such a fixture in my weekly routine. What are the chances you're able to ship, ship merchandise to Ul- Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia? Are you the one who's been listening from Mongolia? Every time I look at our stats, I'm like, who's listening in Mongolia? I thought we've talked about him before. Have we? I'm pretty sure, yeah, because I'm not like as I knew we had a Mongolian listener. There's Mongolia, and there's also uh, Vanuatu. Where the hell is that? It's an island. Where? Uh, Survivor filmed there once. I can't tell you where it is in the world. 
I want to say the South Pacific. I could be wrong. Anyways, uh, also help, also to help fill the void without two episodes a week. I've occasionally listened to old episodes. Recently listened to your 2015-2016 season preview for the Wings, and it was odd hearing so much optimism coming from you guys because I've only listened to the listened to the Wing Wheel podcast during the struggle. They they made the playoffs that year. Hindsight changes everything, but it was interesting to hear you guys saying it was unlikely Larkin would make the team because the lineup was too stacked with talent like Datsuk, Zetterberg, as well as as well as others finally coming up like Jacob Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did Kindle did play not well, but he played. <laughs> uh Jethro E says what's up gents? Hockey questions here. I think without a doubt that the Marner contract is a huge overpayment in AAV with these RFAs starting to play hardball and trying to get that cash money green or yellow or pink or whatever color it is for you buttes north of the border. All of those colors. Uh, what do you think that it's going to do for us with our negotiations for our high-end RFAs? Would you like to see? Would you see a case where Mantha or Bertuzzi holds out for a ludic- ludicrous contract like what Marner got? No, they dear. could hold out, but they are not. Okay, I love all three. They are not high-end. No, they're not that. They're not elite. If tier. Mantha goes off for ninety points this year, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, but it's really stretching it, maybe. But even at that, it'll be one year of elite production. So. I could see a reality where Mantha breaks 70 points this year and asks for a ton of money, but yeah, I don't think it would be so uh, dramatic like how this summer's held out. Um, held up. Also, the Leafs have $40 million tied up for the next several years on just four players, all forwards. It's not a lot to go around to getting high-end talent to fill out the rest of the roster. If they don't win the Cup in these next two years and the cap doesn't increase like they hope it will, does this put wonder Boy Wonder Dubis in the same boat as his fellow 4-Eyed GM compatriot Chirelli? Oh, God, no. I think it's more on uh, Babcock. Babcock. Again, the Pittsburgh Penguins are the reason why Toronto doesn't have an excuse. They won a Cup with Brian Dumoulin as their number one defenseman. Let's not forget the Leafs still have Morgan Riley. Uh, Jacob Lozen said, or he he finishes up by saying, "I'll do the opposite of Brad and shut the hell up and listen." Jacob Lozen says, "Aloha, Dub Dubs, long time no comment. I've been a bit nervous all summer. We're gonna have an uh ice hockey game prior to our draft party this year in a league that has been going strong since 2012. Half of our league plays multiple times a week in a beer league, and the other half is like myself and has never played an organized game in their lives. Then I learned that the game is at 8 p.m. and the league members are all gonna start drinking at noon." Personally, I don't partake in the drink, being one year sober. Hey, congrats, man. That's awesome. Uh, now I feel I stand a chance at being MVP of my first ice hockey game. Oh, man, that prospect tournament, huh? Uh, Joe and Valeno looked everything like a 2019-2020 player should. Let us uh, see how his training camp goes. If Valeno, do- if Valeno doesn't land in Detroit, I'll certainly be watching him, along with Mo Sider, perhaps, in Grand Rapids on a weekly basis. I know we need to trust in our Lord and Savior, Stevie Y., uh, and his ever wise Iser plan, but I cannot feel I cannot feel that the Wings' announcement about four A's again is a total kick in the nads. Am I alone in this world, or do you think this is all part of his Iser plan to lure us into a sense of false security? And then wham, Lark skates out on opening night with a C. As always, stay fresh, my dub dub cheese bags. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Perfect for storing the winged wheels captaincy for yet another season. You guys are getting good at this. I just realized something. It's not only possible, but almost likely the red, uh, the Grand Rapids Griffins top unit this year could be Zadina, Valeno, Rasmussen, Cider, and Chalosky. That is not bad. <laughs> That's going to be stupid good. Uh, Justin, Klinsky, Which also might be the Red Wings top unit in like four years. <laughs> uh, Justin Klinsky says, so I'm honestly ready for hashtag German Lidstrom to start this year in Grand Rapids or that 5% chance he starts in Detroit. Rowan has mentioned the Rugby World Cup, go Ruse, but what about the footy finals? We're two games away from the grand finals, and every team I've rooted for has lost. 
I'm still hoping for Geelong to win it all, so let's wait and see. Yeah, that's my thoughts too. No. <laughs> I, I I think the opposite. Uh, I honestly keep losing my thought process, so enjoy reading this, Ryan. Oh, boy. Hashtag German Lidstrom, hashtag German Lidstrom, hashtag German Lidstrom, hashtag German Lidstrom, hashtag German Lidstrom. I, Ryan Hanna, have seceded from being a Detroit Lions fan instead of aligned myself with the Green Bay Packers. Oh, I just, I threw up. Sorry, I couldn't. Oh, that made me nauseous. Whew, that was weird. I blacked out for a second. I can't remember a single thing that I said, so all of it's null and void. Um... Justin Whitmer says, what's up, guys? Longtime listener here, but I've recently jumped onto your Patreon. Justin, thank you so much, man. Uh, as we move into the season that I've already written off, uh, I'm going to try and keep up with a lot of the prospects here because I don't want to be blindsided at the draft again. And also, I'm thinking about going. Hey, if you go, let us know. We'll see you there. Uh, I think it'd be awesome if you guys could go through the prospect rankings once a month or so and talk about any guys that Detroit should target, even though it's confirmed that Lucas Raymond is going to be wearing the winged wheel come June. Oh, oh yeah. please. Yes. Uh, Clayton Van Dyken says, first off, thank you for reading my poetry last week, Ryan. Uh, now, although the Red Wings attempted to illegitimize my Captain Larkin jersey, so graciously awarded to me by yourselves, I continue to have faith in the true captain, for no lettering can take away from the virtuous letter C Dar- Dylan Larkin wears on his heart. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed our dud dud uh, dub dud Civil War talk in the Discord last night, as well as the image of Ryan shirtless with Red Wings nipple rings that you now can't get out of your heads. I'm so happy I didn't go to the Discord yesterday. Also, someone Ryan, someone get Ryan a t-shirt so he's not sweating his Canadian ass off making videos. Yeah, I just, I'm actually wearing the same sweater. I threw this sweater on for that video because uh, it was the first thing that was handy, and I got an earful. Everyone was like, "Why are you wearing a sweater? It's still hot." I'm like, "I was like, it's for 30 minutes. I was fine. It was very hot. I sure, I regretted wearing it. I regret wearing this now." Is it sad that when he mentioned the true captain, the first name that came to my head no. was Crunch? <laughs> Uh, on a different note and completely unrelated news, my roommate found bed bugs in her bed, so that's neat. Oy. I'd move. The apartment complex is going to claim it's our fault somehow, naturally, despite the unit not even being ready for us upon moving, and are charging us 600 US dollars to get it treated. Needless to say, we are very unhappy, so if anyone would like to donate to the cause, please send me all of the money. Uh, finally, since the Titanic sinking was a giant hoax and insurance fraud scheme, what do you think happened to the actual ship? Oh, that's, that's something. Well, we all know what happened to the actual ship the actual ship and this is exactly why we're all raiding area 51 next week <laughs> that really fell off eh no one's talking about it anymore. did it oh my god you're right uh nick sa- <laughs> nick says hey dud duds hope i'm not getting this comment in too late i'm sure everyone has already asked all the relevant questions about cider valeno and zadina so let me take a step back from the here and now and ask about a guy who's more of a long-term project anti tuomisto has three goal three goals and 10 points through seven junior a sm liga games i know he's there because he wants to maintain his college eligibility and get a scholarship at this point, though, it seems like maybe the Wings should have some words with the Red Wings East, a.k.a. Boston University, to try to get him over there this year. Either way, he's a long-term project, but do you think spending the season dominating in a league he's clearly too good for will negatively affect or at least stagnate his development? Uh, with him specifically, no, because he still has some skills in his game that he needs to dramatically improve, notably his skating. So playing lower competition will allow him to... I don't know how to phrase this air quotations, take nights off to improve on the weaknesses and it won't negatively impact his team. Cause he'll still be at a uh, notch above everybody else. Him going to junior is you would expect him to dominate. So it's good that he is. I, I wouldn't have guessed to this level and I doubt it holds up all year, but it's a fantastic development, but 
he was not drafted as a guy who's going to be anything for the Red Wings in the next three years. So his development path doesn't have to be good. So if he wants to spend another year in junior, refine the parts of his game that need to, and then go spend two years at BU or whatever college before jumping ship to Grand Rapids or Detroit, that's fine with me. Uh, Russ Parsons says, I'm looking to create a Red Wings basement. What do you think is a must-have in it? My backsplash of the bar is going to be a 150-gallon octopus tank. Be careful with octopi. They are like extremely smart, and they can get out of anything. If you're serious. That thing needs to be airtight. Um, a couple really good uh, shadow box jerseys. I'm talking like a signed Litstrom Winter Classic. Um, Close. Yeah. The signed Gordie Howe jersey, if you have someone to steal it from. There you go. Um, white walls with a red stripe or some like uh, barber pole striping. I think that's what we might do in the studio, by the way. Yeah, we're going to take suggestions for you guys for the studio. Um, if it's too much work, we're not doing it. Don't do too much red. It's harsh on the eyes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lots of jerseys. Yeah, Rowan said lots of jerseys. Joshua Bazura says, I'm Ryan Boobadooda, Goo Goo Gaga. Freaking Clayton, look what you started, man. (laughs) Uh, Now for my question, I really want to believe that it's actually at least one of Zadina or Valeno on the roster opening night. But as the season creeps closer, I'm starting to wake up more and more often in the middle of the night to the sounds of Blashill and his blender. He's also making a stupid face while doing it. What are your guys' thoughts on him? Look, I think either one of them have made a case to at least be on the roster opening night i think zadina should play most of the games in the nhl most of his games in the nhl this year i won't be surprised or offended if valeno doesn't play more than nine games in the nhl this year the how like all this is a question of how much uh eiserman is going to give blashill in terms of control and how much eiserman cares about the guys who are ahead of those players in terms of depth so he's not obviously not going to like sit the guys he just signed in ernie or filpula or anything like that was it max who did his roster projection of like the locks versus almost locks etc sounds like max yeah from what i from what i remember it basically came down to two spots so there's two spots that are going to be available between for hiroshi rasmussen svechnikov zadina and valeno to fight over two true open spots Mind you, you got to throw N and Delarose, I think, into that competition as well. So, to the victors go the spoils. Let's just see who has the best training camp and put them in there. Don Mitchell says, been busy, uh, been busy at training camp, got nothing, got to meet Max today. He gave me a few minutes of his time at camp. Super appreciative. Uh, now let's hope I win a ticket for the opener. Love to meet y'all one day. Cheers, boys. Don. It would be awesome to meet all of you at the meetup by the way october 6th at founders tap room detroit just a hop skipping away from little caesar's arena is our annual winged wheel podcast meetup um before the home opener starting at 1 p.m you guys can roll through we'll have some beer we'll have some food um we'll have prizes to give away swag to give away if you guys are really obsessed with having a winged wheel podcast sticker i heard that's the place to get it um, we want to blow the roof off of founders. We want them to be so blown away by how many people we come through. I think the last time we had 50 to 75 people. Yep. We should, we had, we had, I think it was almost exactly 50. Uh, I want to get past a hundred this year. Yeah. So I want to see all of you. I also just got confirmation that I will not be working the Monday following. So, oh, so, so jealous. Oh, all bets are off now, boys. Uh, I would love to take questions from Reddit or uh, Twitter today, but that was a lengthy um, overtime, and we do have to wrap up. Uh, I this is almost a two-hour episode for the Pacific Division preview. 
Woo! I want to thank all of our listeners, all of our brand new patrons, all of our longtime patrons, uh, our name level sponsors, Sky Carcass, Luke Johnson, Arjun Shanker, Don Mitchell, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Matthew M. Rice, Sean Levine, Kaylin Wood, Charlie Elkins, John Evans, Rob Thiel, Stan Olson, Ryan Lewis, Mike DiLoretto, and Hannah Lee. Thank you all so much. Thank you to Daniel Lighting for our brand new lighting. Happy birthday to Lars Thorzell. Uh, we love you all. The home opener is coming. Oh boy, is it bright in here. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.